Welcome to the Arate Podcast, the podcast created to help senior executives and the organizations they lead live up to their full potential. Join us for cutting-edge interviews with leading senior executive and board members across all industry sectors and for practical tips to accelerate your executive career. And now, here's your host, Richard Triggs. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to what is a new innovation in the Arate Executive Podcast. Uh, This is the first time I've tried this, so uh, technically we'll have to see how we go. I have three wonderful guests with me tonight, so what I might do is just... uh, uh, briefly introduce each of you, and then we can talk more about what you're doing in a minute. So, firstly, great to have you along, Beck. Oh, thank Beck you, Mac, and uh, Tim Dwyer from Shores, Martin Moore from what? What are you called now, Martin? Your CEO mentor. Your buddy. CEO mentor, formerly CEO. I, I see you following my career rigorously. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, I am. I am listening to your podcast, uh, so uh, enjoying it a lot. What is a uh, what am I being shown here? Oh, I beg your pardon. So, and Tim Dwyer is the managing director of Bob, the business of brand, no, not managing director. No, I'm a group partner of Bob. Oh, Bob group partner. Well. Look, so. at the end of the day, we're all you know bosses <laughs> in our own right. And, and so, Beck, how do you want to present yourself today? What are you? Uh, I'll be a presenter, producer, and media maker. Fantastic. Excellent. And so we are here today in the Brisbane Club President Room. So I'd like to say a big thank you to the Brisbane Club for allowing us to use this venue. And we are enjoying two beautiful bottles of wine that have been hand-selected from us for us from the cellar. The first one being a, is it Grossa, Marty, or Grossa? Yep. Grossa. Yep. Grossa Pinot Noir, 2015. And an old Adam Shiraz from Bremeriton. Bremerton. Have you had that one before, Marty? I haven't, no. But you've had the Grossa? New experience, I have, yeah. Yeah, what about you, Tim? I've had the Grosset before, I haven't had the other one though. Okay, and you're drinking, uh, you're drinking scotch tonight? I'm doing whiskey because of my uh, current diet. Oh, okay. All right, well, we are all enjoying very expensive and delicious wine. So, um, I thought we'd just uh, keep the conversation pretty light and interesting. Uh, I know that, Beck, you've uh, been doing some interesting things with Goma. What's happening there? Well, it is the um, ninth Asia-Pacific Triennial, which is the big... Um, event that happens at GOMA every three years, started in 1993. Have you guys been to GOMA for the mm-hmm. APT this weekend? No, I haven't. Yeah. Not, not this yeah. weekend. Love so the venue, though. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. so good. And um, so I work with GOMA as well. Um, and I sort of did almost like a survey of general public who are visiting around uh, what does APT mean to them? What what does uh, what do they see? What do they feel? You know, just getting a sort of a feel for the experience of everyone. And it was such an interesting conversation because I realised how how um, uh, personalised that event and that gallery had become. But because it's it's an Asia Pacific uh, event, how these incredible relationships are being built in the region through a gallery, through art. Mm. And so how, you know, art then transits beyond just the wall of a gallery into an actual almost geopolitical space in which relationships are built and, you know, more possibilities can happen between Brisbane and, like, all these nations that are Mm. um, in that region. So, yeah, it was really um, kind of very interesting, I Mm. think, that idea of that art being more than just a a picture on a wall. Like, it's Mm. actually part of the way we communicate ourselves and others but can build relationships and even business relationships, I'd mm. say. One, well, one, of, one of the fun, funniest things or one of the most delightful things I've heard around the GOMA side of things is someone from out of town was in there and saying, what's all these kids doing in an art gallery like this? 
and again, and then the, the, the one of the Goma people said that's the beauty of it. Yeah. I mean, that is. It's the beauty that it opens up to everyone, and you can just go there and enjoy the place, and it's that's, it's it's got such a beautiful vibe to it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, mm. definitely. Well, let me kick off my contrarian streak very early in the piece. I love I, it. I, I Bring it on, Marty. No, I love. <laughs> I do. I do absolutely love Goma, and I love wandering through a gallery. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. But I'm a complete philistine when it comes to art. I have no clue about it, and my main interest is in finding the painting that looks the most ridiculous and is the most expensive. Oh, yes. And so you see those where you go, what the hell, that's finger painting. Like my four-year-old did that 20 years ago, yeah, right. and now you're selling it for $4.8 million. <laughs> seriously. And that's how I get my most enjoyment out of artists by doing right. that. Well, so, I, I had an interesting experience in that uh, uh, I went with my partner, Michelle, uh, to the graduation art show of, what's the uni down near um, Byron Bay? Um, Lisbon? Uh, no. the, whatever Mullumbimby? Uh, Northern, no, no, no. Uh, Northern Rivers University, whatever it's called. Anyway, it was, so it was the graduation of their arts program and part of it was these people did, um, and uh, it was contemporary art. And I'm walking through this thing and I'm looking at these pieces that people have done and it's like, what on earth is this piece of crap? And why have my tax dollars <laughs> gone to pay for these people to go to university? You know, a crumpled box or a whole heap of coffee cups ironed flat and then stuck to the wall or whatever. And then I stayed the night with one of the artists who just finished their masters and they started to talk to me the next day about this idea of, it's not contemporary, what is it, you know, um, this idea of, you know, the art, it's not about the art, it's about the philosophy that goes before the art. Mm. What kind of art is that? Was that a conceptual art. Conceptual art. And it really opened my eyes. So, you know, previously I... Well, that was me too. (laughs) I'm not commenting. Right. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, I'm going to say I love this because, A, you are probably the person I need to convince the most about the power (laughs) of art beyond the the finger painting on the wall that your child could do. And, B, you sound like you've sort of learnt something around the process of art. But I just think, um, particularly because I work in the arts, um, I'm obviously a big advocate... uh, just be, it's so important if we could shift the culture around particularly mm. what the corporate world thinks of the arts and how they perceive the arts sure. and and undervalue I think it's it's power in building community but also building in, an economy and an infrastructure and the way that um, we engage with each other so that's sure. what my um <laughs> Money flows to markets, right, Beck? So, um, so look, and just because, and I, I'm like this with everything, just because I don't necessarily understand it or I don't follow it or I am a little bit uneducated doesn't mean that I can't see the value that it brings. Uh-huh. And so I do see the value in art in all its different forms, whether it's performance art or the painting or sculpture that Richard was talking about earlier. But it doesn't mean that I understand it or need to uh, yeah, indulge in it myself, right? Well, put it this way. I have started reading a book called The or is it playing to the gallery by a guy named Grayson Perry? Do you know who he is? Yeah, the English He's guy. He's like a transgender English potter. Yeah. And uh, if you'd asked me a, a day before attending this uh, art exhibition, would I ever read a book like that? I'd say, no way. <laughs> and now I'm going, well, this is really fascinating. And he, the way that he's explaining it, is, it, it, it makes complete sense what these people are trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I like about what Beck is um, uh, focusing on in terms of part of her business is this idea of, uh, in communities, creating hubs that people want to visit. You know, uh, So how do you create a certain kind of infrastructure around that that's going to bring people into the community 
uh, you know, to get to know their neighbours, to get engaged in art style projects and, and to really build some interesting things. And you've done some great work in that space. Yeah, so um, I've worked with the City of New York um, around a project that is perceived as a placemaking project. So, but like, so it's a, it activates, this is the technical words, it activates public space, it engages community, it collects stories and therefore builds a hub that then will build an economy. The reality is I'm Aphrodite, the goddess of love. I'm in a hot pink TV on wheels and I get people to come and tell me about their love lives. Just, just, just for anyone who's listening, Beck's not talking about her current state. She's not dressed like that at the moment. Mind you. Take it easy. We're at the, we're, we're at the Brisbane Club and Beck's walked in with these hot, skin-tight, is it... What is that leopard skin? I'd say that's leopard. Leopard skin pants. And uh, I think all the old boys downstairs probably uh, dropped their false teeth into their wine glasses. But, uh, yeah. So uh, let's come back to it. So um, <laughs> what, what's happening, you know, at the moment in your world, Tim? What kind of interesting things are you up to? What's in on your mind? Uh, so, yeah, so um, we've, we opened up Bob, the business of brands. So that's the business that I brought to Australia. Um, last year uh, with uh, another person called Sarah Skeets. Um, we've since opened up Singapore. Uh, last week I was over in Korea and we opened up Korea. Wow. Um, and it's really hit the mark. It's, uh, the, the whole market is actually embracing it. So um, the people that uh, opened up Korea the other day, they're ready to take us into China as well now. Okay. So, uh, so without turning this into a pitch for Bob, you know, what are you, what are you guys sort of seeing in the world of branding at the moment? Uh? Well, there's, there's massive gaps. There's, like, there's so many people looking. There's so much innovation in the world coming in. Mm. Uh, we're, we're about to go into one of the biggest growth periods in, in human history. Mm. We've got artificial intelligence coming in. We've got um, blockchain. People are starting to understand what blockchain actually is. Mm. Um, uh, we've got the robotics. We've got the 3D printing all starting to merge together. That's going to uh, decentralise manufacturing. It's going to which it's going to change the way recycling happens. There is so much innovation out there. Now, what innovation needs uh, is it needs a brand to get to market so people know about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the business of brand is actually, and, and, but not only a brand, but it needs a commercial model. Yeah, well, I was going to say, brand's no good without a commercial model. Well, well that's the point. So, stands it up. Yeah. yeah, so business of brand is the commercial model right, that takes, with the brand. Yeah. And, and because of that innovation, now we're just getting, like, it's, it's, it's just people are going, right, this is absolutely the right time to do this. Mm. Um, and there's just so much excitement around mm. the innovation that's happening in the world mm. yeah. um, and around what we can do to change the world and shift industries into a completely new era. Mm. Um, but, so no, I find this just incredibly interesting because Australia, um, historically, has been fantastic in innovation, absolute rubbish at commercialisation of yep. that innovation. Mm. Yep. So a lot of the things that we actually invent here are commercialised overseas. Mm. Yep. So anything that actually keeps the talent and the IP and yep. that, that innovation on shore has got to be a good thing for the country well, going uh, forward. Americans understand brand. Yeah, exactly. understand. They really understand it. To like, did to they the, kind of invent it? They did. <laughs> to, to, to the extent that yeah, the Statue of. of Liberty <laughs> is the brand of America in New York. Mm. So when you go into New York, eighty percent of immigrants that went into New York saw the Statue of Liberty, mm. um, and they were emotional when they saw it. And as a result, they they connected with the the brand of America mm. from day one, which yeah. is why they're so patriotic, mm. and why they're so aligned behind the flag mm. and the, and the Statue of Liberty for what it stands for, mm. which is brand. Mm. 
So it's it's fascinating to go. It's very dri- driven by symbol symbols, it is. isn't it? Like yeah. so much symbology in both that statue and that flag. Absolutely. It's very kind of simplistic in a way. Isn't it, it is. Well, that's what brand is. Yeah. And you look at them in the first one of the first brands is all the religious brands that people used to go around with, and that was a, an element that stood for something. Mm. Um, now what we've got is we've got a whole new era of co- of that coming into the world where there's a whole lot of people standing for something different yes. and something better for the world to actually shift into. Mm. And it's so exciting. Mm. So I'm, I'm super pumped at the moment. Yeah. We've got a lot of topics right now. We can oh, talk about religion. About we can <laughs> talk about artificial <laughs> intelligence. Can we I can just... talk about immigration. <laughs> we can talk about... Think... Sorry, Becky. I was just going to quickly ask, though, like you talk about it's a new age, it's technology, it's driven, but do you think when it comes to brand, the strongest brands are the ones that have a sort of a personal story or uh, absolutely a personal, so that's what it's all a, about a human yep. in amongst that whole well a, a brand symbology a brand, brand starts with who so we're yeah. all here to serve a master of some some kind of, excuse yeah. the term master we're all here to serve someone mm. or a group of people we're, we've got a purpose so it's all about mm. working out who we're here to serve mm. and if we're all here to serve someone then what's our purpose to serve how, how what's the difference we're going to make yeah. And, and that's what the essence of brand actually is. It's our purpose, but it's also the who connected to it at the higher level. Yeah. Back, back in the old days, we used to call those customers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah but, but <laughs> You're right. <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah, good point. Um, but the thing is, it's, uh, it, it, customers is B2B, mm. uh, whereas this is uh, a business to person. So in the technology age, um, we're not, like when I go into a, a client, um, I'm not looking at the person making the decisions. I'm looking at the entire, the entire um, organisation and all of their connections as my client. Right. So it's business to person, not business to business. Right. So the world's shifted. It's not no longer business to consumer. It's no longer business to uh, business to B. It's now business to P. Right. Mm. Uh, mm. Which is the big shift in the world? I'm, I'm sure that <laughs> subtle distinction will dawn on me after my third red tint. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's happening in your world, Marty? What are the kind of things I'm, that are on I'm, your mind? I'm going through the rugged transition from being a uh, corporate jockey to an entrepreneur, uh-huh. which I'm having a lot of fun adjusting to. It's uh, it's fantastic. I'm in business with my daughter Emma, who's a 29 year old marketing whiz out of Sydney. And you produce um, some great content. Producing really good, really good content, yeah. So for those of you who haven't heard it, the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast um, pretty much um, says everything about what it is in, a, in three words. Uh, released every Wednesday morning and uh, I was just talking to Tim before we kicked off and saying that, you know, there's so much stuff on leadership uh, that you can find on the internet. It's bursting with it. It's hard to know what to look at. And most of the stuff out there without any sort of disparagement to these people is that most of it's driven by consultants and academics. And there's absolutely a place for it. But this is why most of the advice there seems to be sensible, but somehow strangely intangible, because it's all theoretically based. Mm. And so because I've sort of worked through from, you know, university law school dropout in the early 80s through the chief executive of a multi-billion dollar business, um, I've been through those sorts of things and experiences in different industries and different functional areas that most people haven't yet been through. Mm. And so I can offer that practical wisdom of, you know, well, if you're trying to do this as a leader, here's some, uh, here's some ways that you might approach it. Here's some traps you're going to fall into. Here's all the rationalisations that are going to go through your head on the way through to stop you from doing it. And let's keep you honest and get you on the path. And, you know, leadership, it's not easy. If it was, everyone would be doing it. Um, change management is not easy. If it was, every organisation would have it under control. And so it's for those who have the appetite to do the hard yards 
this is really going to hit the mark for them. Mm-hmm. Now, I was going to ask people to plug their businesses at the end of the podcast rather than the <laughs> beginning. Beck, thank you for uh, uh, you know conforming with my expectations. Well, but anyway, I think, I think asking me what I was doing, this is where my passion is. <laughs> the, last, the last podcast, you had a crack at me because when you asked me what I was doing, I didn't. I said golf and boating, and, and you said, what about family? So. Right. Oh, that's great too. Anyway. So, look, I, I didn't mean that to be a shameless plug. I just meant it to be a um, an entree into the world I'm in now because it's sure. what I really love doing, right? Yeah. So yeah. I've taken the 70% of my chief executive role that I absolutely loved, and I've now made that 100% of my life. Mm. So I've taken out the 30% of grind that goes with that CEO role, and now I'm, I'm doing what I love doing. So that's, that's the main thing. Well, it's and wonderful it, to have you on the entrepreneur. Thanks, Dickie. It's been, uh, been <laughs> it's a good. long time coming. It has, yeah. So, um, you know, what's happening in the news? You know, one of the things that I'm really interested in at the moment is this. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, really listening to what's happening in the U.S., um, in terms of this really far left movement towards absolute political correctness. And, um, you know, um, some examples of very, very senior executives recently being terminated for their roles for, you know, behaving in a very innocuous manner or behaving in almost the contradictory manner. And the, the one most recent was um, you're one of the uh, top executives at uh, Netflix was uh, running a meeting and he was talking about a comedy special on the meeting. Uh, by a guy named Tom Segura, I think. And Tom Segura was doing this bit about, you know, what words are inappropriate to say anymore. And he said, you know, for example, retarded. Are you allowed to say retarded anymore? So the the communications guy from Netflix has this meeting and he's talking about how it's inappropriate to say retarded. And he said, look, for people who are, say, parents of a child with a disability, saying retarded would be the same as saying (laughs) to a black person and he was immediately terminated from his job, you know. And then you've got uh, Victoria's Secret where uh, they come out and say, look, it's not really in our brand image to have transgender models, and that becomes a massive thing. And, you know, in the Australian context, it still feels like we're a bit divorced from that. Uh, But, um, yeah, uh, it can't be long in coming through, you know, to that degree. And I suppose, Marty... You're the one that's been the CEO of a, you know, a large and a government-owned corporation, so probably even more scrutinised yes. than most. Yes. You know, what, what's happening in that space? Uh, look, I think political correctness is going uh, a very, very long way beyond the pale now. Mm. Uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing, because I think the pendulum always has to swing back mm. a bit further than it went out if you want to get a correction when things have been um, going too far for too long. I think uh, understanding the US culture too, when you talk about that, uh, that Netflix executive example, um, the N-word over there is poison. And mm. it is, uh, you know, if you, if you see that over there, there's things you can't say over there. Mm. You just can't say them. Even in the context of saying, we shouldn't be saying this. Yeah. Well, he should have said <laughs> the N-word. Right. Yeah. yeah. Because, because over here, the only equivalent I can think of is the C-word, which I would never use anywhere near business or polite company. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. It's taboo. Yeah. yeah, and and if you live over there and you're in the U.S. culture, you know it's taboo. Yeah, uh, and so he was ill-advised. But we're seeing we're seeing, I think, overreactions in this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think when you look at uh, things like workplace relationships, so um, you know uh, John Neal at uh, QBE was docked over half a million dollars from his bonus um, last year because he had uh, a relationship with his assistant, and he was docked by the board because 
he didn't declare it in a timely enough manner. Right. He did declare it to the board, but it wasn't in a timely enough manner. So what's, um, what's timely? Uh, well, who knows, right? But more, <laughs> the morning more, after? More, <laughs> timely, more timely than he actually did. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you had the Tim Warner saga at uh, Channel 7, uh, and that was, you know, he was, he was gutted by the financial press for about 12 months on that one. Mm. Um, but the one I found really interesting was the AFL. Right. Gil McLaughlin sacked those two execs for having consensual relationships with two other employees. Mm. And that's where the AFL, by looks of things, by their own admission and their own summary of what happened, made some value judgments about those relationships. So, for example, they said uh, these were terrible because they were extramarital affairs, mm. and so the value judgment on the extramarital affair went on there, and it wasn't a good example to the children, and mm. you know these were relationships inside the organisation, so we're going to sack you for that. Yeah. And workplace relationships have been going on forever. Um, I personally wouldn't do it. You've got you know six and a half billion people in the world. Why wreck your career for the couple of dozen that are around mm-hmm. you? But each their own, right? And everyone makes their own choices on that sort of stuff. So we're seeing that organisations are becoming increasingly um, risk-averse when it comes to this sort of stuff. Mm. And that risk-aversion flows through into everything. Mm. And certainly when I was CEO at CS Energy, there's no way I would put any of my personal opinions out there on social media mm. or in the press like, I keep them to myself. Mm. Now, interestingly, you look at um, Alan Joyce gets CEO of the year, not just for Qantas's performance, but because of his stance on uh, marriage equality. Mm-hmm. And so him coming out and saying, I'm going to nail my colours to the mast on behalf of Qantas, mm. and, you know, we're, we're going to be you know, fervent and vocal supporters mm. of gay marriage. Mm. Whereas um, if I did that in my organisation, one of the uh, key voting electorates that voted no by a very, very high majority, mm. was one where one of our power stations is. Mm-hmm. So even if I believe unequivocally in marriage equality, I can't just come out as CEO mm. of an organisation and say, CS Energy believes this. Mm. Right? So, so as a CEO, you have to be a little bit, a little bit risk-averse on this stuff. And I suppose, Beck, you know, a lot of this stuff came out of the arts community, didn't it? I mean, you talked about the Me Too movement. It mm. came out of Hollywood. And, uh, you know, I'd be interested in your take on all of that. Mm. Well, I think back to the Netflix, I agree with you, Marty. Like, there's certain... Like, my children know that that N-word is worse than the C-word. Like, they've said that to me. Mm. So that generation's being brought up understanding that that word is so painfully derogatory to that community that you'd never use it no matter what. And so, you know, know, and I guess that's a generational thing that a kid knows that but a CEO doesn't. So Mm. where's the education or the... The, 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 com- the communication to someone at the top of the tree, that particularly of a, like, a, a cultural institution, which Netflix is, mm. like, he, as you said, his advisors weren't on the ball. He should have known that from the start, mm. really. Mm. But getting sacks big, mm. I agree with that. <laughs> don't, don't you think he would, in past, he would have picked up on the energy whenever he used it? Yeah. Because when you use those words and people um, take offence to it, it's... You, you, you see it, you feel it. You, so uh, I'm surprised that he actually kept using it yeah. or even, even used it at all um, because of the reaction that it does get. Yeah. Mm. Did, did, we decide, did we decide the word retarded's okay? Because some people, when it comes to their emotional intelligence, are retarded. <laughs> and so, and so those, those cues you talk about, Tim, right. that most of us would pick up on, some people actually don't. Mm. Well, it's, well, you've got to remember that our Australian humour is very different to the American humour as yes. well. Which hopefully so, we're going to prove within the next hour or two. Well, that's <laughs> We're a little bit more relaxed when it comes to words that's and how they use as well. Yeah, I, I, I was interviewing for the podcast uh, uh, a lady recently who's about um, uh, personal branding for women who are wanting to achieve an increase. And um, 
Uh, her name's Susie Lightfoot. Do you oh, know yeah, Susie? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and she's excellent. She's a yeah. former sort of athlete and then became a model and then became, you know, a brand ambassador and she's had a really interesting career. And, you know, posing this question about the Me Too movement, you know, in terms of what is its effect on, you know, truly creating opportunity for women? Um, and uh, it was interesting because uh, Tony Robbins, I don't know if you saw that thing, um, it was on um, YouTube, uh, he made some really dumb comments about um, Me Too and about how his mates are, you know, concerned about hiring attractive women now because mm. of, and, you know, so, um, and, uh, so with all of this, you know, um, uh, huge uh, scrutiny that's happening in the media, you know, is it actually supporting or detracting from women's opportunity to achieve true equality? You know, um, and I, you know, I'm quite, I'm undecided about that. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I think it's definitely had a positive impact. You okay. know, like as as Marty said, the pendulum swings. Mm. Up until very recently, um, things like uh, workplace sexual harassment, um, it was just. A done thing like everyone just kind of quietly accepted that if I'm gonna if I work here this is how I'm going to be treated but mm. now with what's happened with me too it's being backed by legislation and mm. that's what and that's what the game changer is like mm. it actually has to go to the political it has to change in 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 like legally mm. and therefore people can be prosecuted mm. and they can know they've done the wrong thing so I think um, it's massive and I just think again back to my kids I keep using them as a, a barometer like my girls uh, I've got two 13 year old girls like I'm so happy they're growing up in this world right now you know it's exciting times for them to be able to to, to actually see what equality is when I was working at Woolies with you <laughs> back in the 80s well I, I got it was I, I thought a we weren't going to do shameless plugs <laughs> from my career yeah, when I was a checkout chick um <laughs> But I think... Um, I think you were on $4 now and I was on $6. Dollars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're a man, you're a woman. Probably. You, you, no. always, you always manage the material, didn't you? <laughs> Look, Sorry, Beck, continue. I just think it's such such a great time to be alive. Yeah. You know, that all this totally. stuff's being turned on its head. All this archaic structure, all these things are being questioned, all these, all these power shifts in who has the power and who doesn't. I mean, you know, it's such a shake-up. Mm. And bring it on. Mm. I mean, everyone, really. Everyone has lost faith in the institutions mm. um, and the institutions are not going to change the world yeah it's the it's the power of the people is going to do it uh, through um, out the technology that's coming through uh, we as uh, the, the, the important thing is we choose we choose the right context for it all mm. as a collective mm. we don't want anarchy and no one does wants anarchy no, no one wants everyone wants to do and, and build a greater world for the for the generations to come yeah mm. so you ask anyone and they want to shift their industry they want to shift the world Everyone has that intention. Mm. Uh, the, the important thing is that we, when we work through it, we, we work out what the context is. Yes. Um, and once we collectively all choose that context, then the power of what we can create is unlimited. Mm. So what do you mean by choosing the context then? Uh, choosing a context is uh, uh, clean energy. Right. Uh, choosing a context of um, uh, renewable, uh, having, a, having a circular approach to the use of resources. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so it's all those contexts that are going to build sustainability, not only in the planet but also our relationships. Mm. So, a lot of this stuff is the pendulum swinging back and forth because we need to shift the way we relate to each other and how we view each other as countries, how we view each other as races. All of that has to change 
mm. because of a patterning. Now it's all been patterned in the past. So we've, a lot of us have like, I, I catch myself saying sayings that were um, made in, in the early or late 1800s. Right, uh, and then I go. Like what? Yeah, like oh, what? No, I can't just, I just <laughs> I'm intrigued. So, yeah, there's, there's so, <laughs> anything wrong with that. Yeah. But some of them, you, you you say them, and you go, "Where did that saying come from?" Mm-hmm. Um, I was, when I was over in Korea doing some, I, I said an Australian Australianism, and then I thought about what was it, and I didn't even know what it actually meant. I didn't even know what it was referring oh, you were to. Trying to explain mm. it to them, and you Ma- Ma- yeah. Marty will know. Okay, what, <laughs> what was it? I oh, know a few. Yeah, mm. what was it? No, I, I can't even remember what it was now. It's just in the moment, um, I said it and I went, and I just had to rethink it going, what was that? Mm. Right? Um, I wish I could remember it. But um, the thing around it is it, we've got all these patterns of sayings. Mm. Um, and I think uh, uh, when we're talking about the N-word or all of that sort of stuff, um, uh, we, we've got these patterns that people bring it in. It's not until someone gets a shock about that pattern is no longer good. Yeah. Because sometimes we're saying them because other people are saying them and we've, we've made them mean something else, mm. right? But we've actually forgotten the origin to what that saying was. Yeah. Mm. So that's, and that's very, very deep for this um, state of the podcast, but you're exactly right because people learn the words and they parrot them back and mm. they form their opinions based on it on a very shallow view of any sort of issue or situation, and then that becomes conventional wisdom. Yeah. Mm. And so to think beyond that, to actually question a bit more deeply is something I think we are in danger of losing. Mm. Um, so where have you seen evidence of that more recently professionally? Oh, well, okay, well, here's a classic, right? So um, so energy, which Tim touched upon, um, used to be my business, still very passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm passionate about the fact that as quickly as we can, we need to get from where we are which is an energy system that generates a hell of a lot of greenhouse emissions, to one that doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I'm also a firm believer in the fact that we shouldn't do that by blowing up the economy and massively destroying value through the way we make that transition. So managing the transition is what it's all about because 15 or 20 years from now, we know what it's going to look like. That's not a surprise. But it's getting to that without mm-hmm. blowing up the economy and, mm-hmm. and dis- massively destroying value and pushing prices up that becomes the trick. So they talk about the energy trilemma of sustainability, in other words, being green, affordability in terms of pricing, and uh, reliability in terms of being able to keep the lights on. Mm. And these three things are a balance, and they push against each other. So you know mm. you can you can make everything renewable tomorrow, but your reliability is going to go into the toilet. And then it gets politicised, totally. and then it becomes a political issue, and then you're voting on which party is going to go with that future, exactly. or going to stay here in the past. And I think that's again where it becomes so complex. A- absolutely, and it's, it's, it, it is a complex field. And as much as I hate to say it, the politicians sometimes are entirely disingenuous about this. Yeah. Because having spoken to a lot of them over the last few years. They actually understand this space quite well. Mm. They know what they're doing. Like you talk to you talk to you know, Malcolm Turnbull. He, I've seen him go head to head with John Pierce, who was the father of the national electricity market, one of the smartest dudes on the planet with a, you know, brain the size you wouldn't believe. And they go head to head trading discussion about how the national electricity market will work in the future. Mm. Turnbull is as smart as a white rat. Super super smart yeah. guy. But what did the policy say? something completely different yeah. because then it becomes politics. Yeah. So you're worried about keeping the conservative right wing of the party under control and you're trying to appeal to the populace and you're yeah. trying to work out what the latest Gallup polls have said about who's favoured on what things and what an energy policy in any sort of uh, shape mm. would do. So it's driven for the wrong reasons. And we saw it happen to him. <laughs> well, totally, totally. We saw it happen to him. It's, it's the, not getting any better. What do you think of Elon Musk coming in and actually uh, committing to getting the South Australian side of things? 
um, sorted, and he did. Yeah, so, so two things. So the first thing is um, it's an expensive solution. Uh, it's not a solution that's sustainable overall. So because that's the first battery that's gone in there, it's, yeah. it serves its purpose, yeah. right? And it's, and it's actually quite useful. Um, when I first saw the release of the aerodynamic Tesla battery for home use, um, I was talking to a, um, a mining executive about it, and his only comment was, um, long on sizzle, short on sausage. And I think that pretty much, that pretty much <laughs> describes it. But here's a guy who's a real forward thinker, um, and by the way, for any listeners out there, there are no marijuana joints in this podcast. <laughs> we're, not, we're not smoking. Um, but uh, but you, yeah, know, you might give context to that because he was on a Joe Rogan he um, was, podcast yeah. and he decided to um, um, have a joint. Uh, when he was in California where it's legal and he got absolutely rubbished and his share price went down as a result yeah. of it. Yeah, absolutely. And he had to step down as chair of... Um, yeah, it was uh, fairly significant. Yeah. I don't think that um, was directly related. Well, it, there was a series of things, yeah, but that yeah. was the straw that broke the camel's back, apparently, mm. you know, but, if you, you, know, if you can believe what you read in the media. I, I, I'm a huge fan of Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah, totally. I, I'd never really heard Elon Musk speak before, and geez, it was fascinating, and the guy is literally, he's on another planet. Yeah. Oh, you, you, oh, yeah. you don't very often see someone that gifted, mm, and yeah. you, they pop up rarely, you know, you've mm-hmm. got your Steve Jobs and your Elon Musks, and there's mm. a few people like this. You just go, wow, that person is prescient and out there and mm. just so far ahead of the pack. It's yeah. just not funny. Someone that gifted and that successful, because often when you have a mind like totally. that, it's so easy to get lost or exploited or you can't manage the other part of your life. Absolutely. But somehow he's been able to keep his... Well, he has a whole team that helps him. <laughs> he must have a part. massive he team. Absolutely. Absolutely. He actually Absolutely. is quite significant. <laughs> he, he talked about as a child actually feeling you know, that he was insane because... Yeah. He was just on a completely different level to everybody around yeah. him, and there was yeah. just no common language. The interesting thing is in the arts, I mean, we, we know these iconic guys like Brett Whiteley and Salvador Dali and so on and so mm. forth, um, who would be similar. And in many respects, you know, their art is contrary to being successful in business, mm. yet they are successful in business mm. because they make a lot of money. Yeah, except Brett Whiteley died of a heroin overdose yeah. way before his time. And, um, well, I think the arts world is changing as well. And I think, um, but I was just going to just go back to your point about um, the using language from the 1800s and how we're still, um, a lot of what we think and the way we use uh, the structures we live in, we don't understand how they began kind of thing. Yeah. I'm going to bring up the Tattersalls Club now <laughs> because it was uh, created 153 years ago by men in the racing business. And mm. no women were invited to the club because no women were in the racing business 153 years ago and now they're coming up to um, vote whether they're going to let women be club members and you know you can just see how it makes such great sense like because women are in the racing business you know some of them are the Mm. best um, in the business and women are in business so it's just interesting that when you understand the background of how that club emerged Mm. and where it is now it makes perfect sense to everyone on the outside why that needs to shift. Mm. But were there ever any exceptions to that no females rule, Beck? So, um, for example, you know, Gay Waterhouse, who's just been a, an incredible stalwart exactly. in the industry, has she ever She's not allowed to be a, a member. Not, not allowed she to be a member. She can go as, um, oh, sure, as a, a visitor as a, as an or a guest, 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 but not a member. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Amazing. yeah. Well, well the, fortunately, the thing about it, what's interesting, and, uh, you know, here we are sitting in the Brisbane Club, about to celebrate their 20th anniversary of female membership, and 35% of members are women, so 
come on, come all. Yeah. But uh, go Brisbane uh, Club. Yeah. Uh, oh, but it makes such a difference. It yeah. really does mm. to, you know, to the, the feel of the place. It really yeah. does. But the thing about it is, a, you know, there's a whole heap of sort of. Uh, there are women who are saying because they've now said the reason that we want female membership is because it makes economic sense. You know, we're yes. losing membership. We're losing money. We've got organisations that won't use our facilities because we only have male membership. So we need to have women because we want to make more money. Yeah. And then women are saying... Okay, that's rubbish. I mean, and that's women, the wrong reason to do well, it. Well, yeah. for women are saying, well, if that's the only reason you want me as exactly. a member, then get yeah. lost, right? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's, uh, it is a very archaic, um, you know, viewpoint. Mm. Um, and yet at the same time, there's a gym only for women. There's two female-only um, uh, groups in Brisbane. Um, mm. What's the big, the female um, equivalent? They've got a facility in New Farm. Um, uh, but again, I, I don't know, because I, I, have, so, I, have, I know, haven't been invited there, Richard. No, <laughs> me either. But you, you know, there's Zonta and... Uh, but so they all emerge from not being allowed in the men's club. You know what I mean? So again, you have to go back to the point of when things... You know, emerged mm-hmm. was would have been because they weren't allowed into the men's clubs, and so they created their own clubs, and maybe that might shift as well. See, this is where it gets super, super interesting, right? Mm. Yes. Because because when we talk about um, political correctness and equality, should people be allowed to associate the way they want to associate? And when you think about, okay, mm. so a group of women want to get together, go for it. Yeah, like happy days. Go, you know, like fill your boots. That's awesome. Mm. And it comes back to Richard's point about the um, Victoria's Secret. And even closer to home, we've had Lorna Jane with the same sorts of issues. They want to hire a certain type of person mm. because that's their brand image. And brand, yeah. is, brand is Tim's area, right? Yeah. Not yeah. mine. Yeah. But they want, to, they want to maintain a certain brand image. And I say, well, okay, that works. So, so if you're Lorna Jane and you want to hire people who represent the brand as being fit and healthy and active, then you need to have fit and healthy and active people representing your brand, yeah. at least facing the customer, yeah. right? Not necessarily behind the scenes, but at least facing the customer. And so that ethos and culture and brand identity, I think is quite important. You should be able to choose that. Yeah, uh, so, and so. you shouldn't be forced to hire, you know, a, mm. a fat middle-aged bloke because he wants to go and work for Lorna Jane or mm. wants to walk on a runway for Victoria's yeah. Secret. What are you looking at me for? I wasn't. <laughs> you, just ha- you just happen to be opposite. You just happen to be opposite, mate. So, so Tim, I'd, I'd be interested. What you no, I, I agree with that. I mean, like, um, uh, people need to associate with a brand and they need to associate with a code of beliefs. Mm. Uh, and it's those beliefs it's that... Their tribe. Control, it is their tribe. Um, mm. And so if your tribe's Lorna Jane, your tribe's Lorna Jane and you... You either match it or you don't. Mm. Um, there's plenty of tribes out there. There's there's a tribe for every person on this planet. Uh, you just got to work out which tribe you want to belong to, um, and then work out well how how to actually either get into that tribe or create the tribe. Mm. Um, so I, I agree wholeheartedly. We need to have the ability to choose who we bring in and who we don't. Mm. Um, there's a thing called cultural match. Someone's Absolutely. either a cultural match or they're not a cultural mm. match. Absolutely. Now, but the, what's happening but, but, in the US right now is this whole virtual si- virtue signalling, which is you know uh, uh, people feel this responsibility to uphold the new left sort of orientation. So, oh, Victoria's Secret have made some comment that they don't want, um, they don't feel transgender models are appropriate. Boom, it's a massive social media explosion and before you know it, people are getting sacked and all sorts of things are happening. Yeah. Um, so it's not just about, well, look, if you, you know, you vote with your wallet. 
Yeah, exactly. I, I remember exactly. listening no, to those. Victoria's Secret has been on brand so long mm. that they took that business and it's been superly successful yeah. because of what they did with that brand mm. and how they elevated the models. Right. Yeah. It's, right. Like, it's like that gay couple in America who went to a wedding cake shop and they said to the baker, will you bake us a wedding cake? Uh, and he said, look, I'm Christian, I won't bake you a wedding cake, but I'm happy to sell you one of my, you know, I won't do you a specific one with two boys on the top, but if you want to buy my one off the shelf, no problem. So they created this huge storm and they sued him and it became a massive thing and it went to um, the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, I believe, don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure they voted the favour of the baker and said he had the right yeah. to deny their business. So, yeah, that was on appeal. Right, and then there's a whole heap of people who came out and said, oh, blah, 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 and then there were some really intelligent people, gay or not gay, who come and say, just vote with your wallet. It's quite simple, it's economics. It's, yeah, it's, it's totally, yeah, totally is, yeah. And look, I reckon one of, the, one of the most fun examples of this most recently has been the uh, Nike anniversary um, advertising campaign. I don't know if you, know if you saw that. No. In the US it was massive. Mm. And the person they chose as their ambassador for this, for this Nike big brand anniversary was a guy called Colin Kaepernick, mm. who was an American football oh, yeah. player, quarterback uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. He was the one who started the kneeling right. for the Black Lives Matter campaign when the national anthem was being played. Mm. Yeah. So he came under a lot of fire, and a lot of NFL clubs. And anyway, we're talking; these guys are twenty million a year guys, right? Mm. These are these are these are like hot guys. Mm. And Kaepernick was, you know, a prodigious talent when he came in. But he knelt down during the anthem. A lot of black players in the league started to follow. The owners got up in arms. The, the National Football League didn't know how to respond. It was it was a real mess, and um, and ultimately, you know, the the tagline was, "Sometimes you've got to do what you believe, even if it costs you everything." Because right. Kaepernick can't get a gig now. Now the fact that he was a shit quarterback has nothing to do with it, right? Right. But he can't get a gig, and so he's he's been the face of Nike. But the interesting thing is, you hear people like Dee Madigan talk about this. You know, Dee Madigan from the mm. um, she's been on Gruen Transfer a number of times. She's an advertising agency exec uh, and expert. But she says Nike's not stupid. Mm. They did their numbers before they ran that. Yeah. And they know that the people that are going to be out there burning their Nikes. They're the, you know, they're people in Main their customers. 50s and 60s. They're the ones that are burning the last pair of Nikes they bought in 2006. Mm. Yeah. And the ones that the ad appeals to are the kids in the, you know, 16 to 26 category who are buying six products a year. Yeah. Mm. And so they do their numbers. They know they yeah, know what's going to be successful and what's not. And so you just look at Instagram accounts and the numbers are there. Totally. You know, it's really easy totally, these days totally. to find out who's hot and who's not. It is. Ab- <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, so you look at things like that and, and yes... Yes, they always try and tug at the heartstrings with a campaign like that. Yes, they want to make it emotional. They want to make it something significant. But they're doing their numbers. It's it's markets, right? It's it's money. It's markets. You're a cynic. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it, is, it is the way it is. I think, I think yeah. Tim will be with you. But I, I think it's interesting just that um, there's a you're painting a broad brushstroke. You're putting um, like um, pe- like people, you know, people of um, like women and people of colour and um, you know, maybe pe- transgender women into mm. one boat, then what's the other? You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? Well, who, if that's all these ones over here that are, 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 are maybe challenging the system or asking to be heard or mm. wanting things to be addressed, then what is the other? Like, because they're the others. Can I, can, I, can, I, can I comment on that? Yeah. So uh, there's a great musical out called Kinky Boots. Well, it's, yeah, oh, yeah, I've right. seen it. It's good, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Right, so uh, market capitalism. So here we've got someone um, uh, being 
uh, criticised by making a comment about Victoria's Secret's brand and their choices of what they choose to do. Yeah. And yet there's this uh, a true story about a gentleman who saw that making boots for uh, transsexual um, and, and um, uh, cross-dressers uh, saw a, a wonderful opportunity to make boots, mm. right, and then create a market who was supremely successful. Yeah. Right, so rather than have the community come in and have a go at a brand, if they don't like the brand, don't go near the brand mm. and, ha and even have that much commentary on it. Yeah. If you, if, and then if there's enough people that can see that there's enough people that want something that's different to a specific brand, well then there's a gap and someone can go create that. But I think my point is like women, people of colour and possibly transgender gay people make up how much percent of the world? And, you know, what, who are making all these decisions at the top CEOs? How many are white males? I know this is... But we're well, going we wanted, to... That needs the, to change. The, the they got to resemble thing. that remark. I know, yeah, but yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah. saying. But, like, yeah, it's really... You're on your way out. Like, <laughs> no, no, but I'm just, I'm like... Such a dinosaur. I'm just trying to break it down. I know, like, I know. It's so easy, like... I, I'm not... Just, I'm just interested because... Mm. Um, well, isn't that the market? Like, well, women, it, people of colour and transgender and gay sure. people yeah. are far outnumber white... Men at the moment. So, where's the innovation that. coming I feel from? Impressed. How many, how many, how many wonderful, how many amazing females are coming through in this marketplace right now I and know. creating their own brands? Totally. Because yes. of that. Yes. Exactly. And you I just know. go, and the, and the world is their oyster. Yes. They can mm. do whatever they want because there's all these people that will go. Absolutely, I'll move mm. from here to there because yeah. you represent who I want to be with. Yeah. Right. I couldn't and, agree more, but and, I'm just like yeah. trying to break I, I, it down, you know? Like, let's not make the mistake. Let's not make the mistake. Let's not make the mistake of thinking that every female or person of colour or transgender person has to be wildly successful because it's their turn. Yes. Because if you look at the uh, white, you know, middle-aged males, there's not many of them that are successful either. Most mm. of them are just, you know, cranking the handle, doing jobs, yeah. and having families and things like that. So it's not like this privilege has elevated every yeah. you know, white middle-aged man to a position of power and dominance. It's just not the case. Yes. And so you wouldn't expect that to happen with any other minority group as well because yeah. you always have outliers, people who work hard, people who take the risks, and the market rewards that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, this conversation, you know, from my perspective, is definitely not about trying to defend a misogynist racist. I know. I mean, oh, I absolutely you, don't you, think you, you are. No, no, but you, you need, these people need to be called out. Mm. Uh, it's what we see, what I'm seeing from what I'm listening to is just the pendulum swing so far to mm. the left that people who are legitimately trying to do the right thing Mm. are still tripping up and, you know, um, yeah. having their lives destroyed. Yeah. Mm. Um, and is that actually beneficial to the underlying cause of what, mm. you know, women and, mm. yeah. you know, um, I, uh, different races so are trying to achieve? You know, because, uh, and I don't know that it is. Yeah. I um, think if, if when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're clear on purpose and you're clear on pur the higher context, then all of that other stuff can go away. Mm. It's just when we're not clear on our purpose, we're not clear on what we're doing here, we're not clear on what our organisation or our community is designed to be doing right now, then what happens is we get caught up in this um, uh, reaction and overreaction all over the place. I mean, look at the government today. Mm. Uh, the government's just reeling with all of the, the, the bombardment. And the reason they're reeling is because they've, they've got absolutely no direction mm. um, and they haven't yet regrouped to work out what the hell they're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. They don't even know what their context is.
And without that, mm. then all of a sudden, all of the they can't defend anything. Yeah, um, and that's, that's, that's so true. I mean, you, you look at uh, you know we had um, three prime ministers over almost 25 years between 1983 and 2007, 2008, and we've had uh, six different prime ministers, including K. Rudd, twice since then. So, so what's going on that we can't hold a prime minister for an average of two years yeah. when we've had these enormously successful prime ministers? You look at uh, you know from both sides of politics. You know, you look at Paul Keating, who probably did more for this country in terms of its sustainable um, prosperity than anyone has mm. done. He's my favourite. Uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, what a guy. And he had the courage of a leader who was prepared to take some risks and make some hard choices. Mm. And Hawke and Keating and Howard actually did that. All three mm -hmm. of them were prepared to do it. Uh, and, in fact, if you listen to John Howard talk now, he says that he's equally proud of his achievements as the leader of the opposition when Labor was in power through Hawke and Keating, mm. as he was with the achievements when he was Prime Minister, mm. because it took the cooperation of that bilateral support to make things really happen. Yeah. And that's why here we are, you know, with 27 years of unadulterated growth. Mm. And I did want to raise this because um, there was a special report on Australia in The Economist um, uh, just a few weeks ago, which talked about the fact that Australia is the envy of the developed world. And, and you know, 27 years of uninterrupted growth, uh, a situation where, you know, Germany's growth, and Germany is the powerhouse of Europe, our growth is outstripped by three times mm. across the same period. Uh, our medium income growth has been four times that of the US. And our public debt ratio to GDP is less than half of the UK's. Mm. And we're in a position now where this country has been so prosperous for so long, yet we're also in a situation where everyone believes, because of the media and because of our politicians, that people are being hard done by, mm. that we're doing it tough, yeah. that things are bad, and that Australia's in, in trouble. And it's That's absolutely so, not. So, so as I said to you before, Mark, because I, I love those stats and I love that, the, the, the recount of the article, because the, the whole thing here is uh, we're doing well. People can't see that we're doing well, but imagine what we could do if we did get the power of all of the context right. Mm. Imagine how, how good yeah. we could be. Now, I think what's happening here, or what uh, my experience of this, is that we've shifted from the Hawke and Keating and Howard days. Um, they were back um, in the late 1990s, or like going all the way back to late 1980s, all the way through to 2000s. Now the world has shifted. We've moved from an offline world to mm. an online world. Yeah, um, absolutely. And as a result of that, the world hasn't yet recalibrated on how to engage the yeah. people in all of it. Now, mm. we are super lucky that we've got an environment where we are um, all uh, relatively well off. Um, we are, we, I always say that we won Lotto by being born in Australia. Yeah, totally, um, totally. Absolutely. So we are so, we are so privileged. Yeah. It doesn't matter who, well, it does. I mean, the majority. <laughs> of, so, but so, not that much. Yeah, so, but we are. I mean, like, really. I mean, um, there, there is no reason for poverty um, in this country. Yeah. Uh, there, there's that much wealth, that's, uh, and, and if, if there is, there, there, mm. we need to be working on it quick smart to make mm. sure that there isn't it. Now, the thing about that is, because we have the stability, we can then have the debate. We, and we need to be having the debate about how we change government. So it's almost mm. like Maslow, Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. Yeah. Because we're in a space of stability, it enables you to have a different level of conversation yep. than you know when 
you really life is very tough. Yeah, yeah. and I and I agree, and I believe that we need to be having a conversation around government as an entirety mm. about how we do govern because how we're being governed is one of those patterns of the past, mm. and the patterns of the past means we've got two parties. Uh, one party represents management, the other party represents the workers, um, and neither party can actually agree. Yeah, because it's changed. Because it's changed. Now, in, in business these days, um, the, the delineation between management and the workers is changing. Mm. So workers and management are, are, are blending in this way. So they, they, they're coming together to come for the collective good. Uh, management are the ones that have to make the decisions and make the... Um, uh, uh, the, the risk-taking side of things, where the workers have to implement it. Yeah. Um, now, it used to be seen commander control. That was part of the patterning that we had through military. It's mm. part of the patterning that we had through society up to today. Yeah, and that came out of the Industrial Revolution, really, didn't it, it did. that system? Yeah. It did. It did. Now, now we're, got, we're moving into a space where entrepreneurship is taking a new, mm. uh, a new angle. Yeah. Um, and potentially all of us be could become entrepreneurs one day. And it's driven by the digital media space yeah. you're referring to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So which then removes command control. Mm. And uh, yeah. I, I mean, I find this, of course, extremely interesting because leadership's my passion, but yeah. the whole thing about um, command and control, and funnily in the military, it's well known as being a command and control model, but if you talk to anyone who's been a military leader, they will tell you that if you can't get the credibility and trust and respect of your troops, you go nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter that you have that hierarchical referent power. Mm. Yep. You will go nowhere. Yep. And even at the point where someone was telling me the other day that um, they once had a CO that uh, wasn't well liked by the troops, yep. and when they were in uniform, they were on duty, everything was good, they had to do what they were told, but he said um, he, he'd gone up to the CO quietly and said, by the way, I wouldn't turn up at the pub in civvies because you'll get the shit beaten out of right. you by you guys. Yeah. And so there's a, you know, there's a, there's an element of, yes, you have to conform to a certain extent to the hierarchical model, but the command and control, even though by name, I had the Russell Crowe movie in my head. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when, when I made that comment, that, that's what I had. Yeah. In my head. And, and look, and that's and that's for all intents and purposes true. But I think it's it's going to be harder and harder to exercise any sort of power that is coercive power yep. or even reward-based power. Yeah, agreed. When you've got yep. dispersed workforces mm. in different locations using technology to telecommute mm. um, and you've got to start measuring uh, value and outputs rather than inputs. Mm. So you can't measure how long someone's spending uh, at their desk during a day. It's just mm. irrelevant. I, yeah. I can't wait for us to actually create that reality. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. But can I ask a question? And I don't have the answer at all, but like... We all, you know, as you're saying, and I agree totally, like we are so lucky we live here. We have so much prosperity. We all live in incredible places, you know. But why, like, and this sounds quite trite, but why is there such a level of discontent and unhappiness and unhappiness amongst everyone? Like what, what is that, where's the, where's that, what is that space that's not allowing everyone to actually feel the prosperity and understand that it's theirs and own it and live in it. Like, just as a bigger question around Australians and their identity and us going forward in our future, like, how do we meld those things together? Well, well the, the thing I think about that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that's the big question. Vic. If, you, if yeah. you think about it at a, you know, micro-individual level, this whole idea of, you know, I look on Facebook and everybody's posting about how awesome their life is. Yeah. So I'm comparing my life, which I have a reality check on, as being less than awesome some of the time to people that are like, oh, you know, I'm doing this travel or doing whatever. Yeah. And so I have, you know, lifestyle envy. 
And then I suppose America has done such a good job at saying we are the best, we are awesome, you know, leaders in business, leaders mm. in technology, leaders in the arts, Hollywood, blah, blah, blah. So even the majority of people who probably haven't lifted, you know, um, to see that it's all sizzle, not sausage, is that right? Mm. You know, people, people would go <laughs> and look at... People would continue to look at America and go, wow, like, you know, but the reality is very, very, very different, different today. Yeah. Um, and it's guys like Michael Moore, you know, who really, uh, through his films, and, you know, I, I really love his work, mm. you know, go, uh, actually, guys, you know, we are a very, very forward um, country. And, uh, uh, but not a lot of people would probably really understand that. No, and we're, no. we're always comparing our... Uh, our difficulties in our reality of our life and the things that we perceive in reality mm. against other people's um, perception of how great they're doing. Like you said, Facebook is, you know, it should be taglined, you know, my life's better than your life. Mm. Yeah. But people don't post, you know, just just had a blow up with the missus and now I'm in the doghouse for three days. <laughs> people, people don't post, you know, I, I ate a dodgy vindaloo and now I've got diarrhoea. They don't post that stuff, right? Mm. They post, they post. here I am yeah. having dinner at a Harborside restaurant mm. with a great bottle of wine yeah. and tomorrow I'm flying out to Paris. You know, yeah. that's, that's what gets posted. And they filter the photo and, you know, everyone looks beautiful. I'm really good at it. I'll show you how to do like, it later. Get, we'll get make a great photo of, of this, trust get me. Get out of the country and look around. You just don't have to go far mm. to see how lucky we are here. And even if you spend any time in the US, because I've... I've probably been to more than half of the US states and spent time there. And, you know, I've got to tell you, there aren't many places there where I'd say, gee, I'd rather live here than Australia. It's, mm. You know, it's impossible. And have you been... I was fascinated. I've just come back from Seoul. Have you been to Seoul before? I haven't. No. no. I've, I've heard been. good things. Um, 25 million people uh, in one city. Mm. So the entire population of Australia mm. living in one city. And they are the most delightful gracious people to talk to and to um, engage with um, and um, yeah. But do you think that's only because you're a foreigner and you're a visitor? Oh, I, I don't know. I right. mean for, for me I, I, I didn't dive deeply deeply right. into it but uh, when Beck mentioned why, why are we discontent the mm. three words that came to mind just out off the cuff was mm. gratitude, purpose and media. Mm. So uh, gratitude yeah. is making sure that we're all being grateful for what it is that we we do uh, have and the opportunity we do uh, pre present itself. Purpose is well getting connected to what is it that we really turns us on that we want to do and create in the world. And yeah. the last one is we listen to media. Yeah, yeah. well, exactly. and particularly yeah, yeah. coming back to gratitude, it's hard to have gratitude about my life when the media is telling me that my life is terrible. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Mm. But you know, you look at South Korea right now; they can afford to smile because they had broadband over there that was 10 times faster than the MDN <laughs> 10 years ago. Wow. Well, That's because, the kid happiness. Yeah. I, thought well, it was got, this, I thought it was the soju. Yeah. Well, they, they, Did you try that? They've got population the density, right? Cryptocurrency, by the way. In the, in the crypto world, right. they're one of the highest uh, users of cryptocurrency and, and getting involved in all the crypto world. So they're very they're technologically advanced. 25 million in a confined space. They need to actually mm -hmm. do, do yeah. some other stuff. And except, you except would probably not know this, but South Korean crime drama on Netflix is exceptional. <laughs> is it? I'm I not joking. I've got to say, fantastic. I've got to say, the only downside is like the neighbours. Right. Like, you know, like 
you've got a crazy bloke, you've got a crazy bloke over the fence in North Korea. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's almost like us living in St. Lucia next to the frat oh, house, right? right? Yeah. So yeah, the parties on Saturday night go late. But yeah, uh, yeah but it is that that's a bit of a concern. But you know, you see cultures where people have so little, yeah. but are so content yes. and happy. You're right. That's what and, I'm trying to get uh, to the bottom of. Absolutely. And look, it's it's never been about money and power. Mm. We we think it is, but it's never been about that. Otherwise, why would you see heirs to massive fortunes at, in their twenties committing suicide? They have mm. unlimited wealth and power, and they go and kill themselves. And it's not a one-off. It's frequent. Well, it wasn't uh, that long ago that a CEO of a bank was capped at 10 times the earnings of their lowest paid employee. That's right. Yeah. So if you're on a teller and you're on 30K, mm. as a CEO, you're on 300. Right. Now you're the teller on 40K, and the CEO, you're on 8 million. Yeah, wow. You know, it's a very, very, very different it's world. And, uh, you know, I'm interested, this is sort of segueing into, um, and I know that we're all kind of involved in this space, is the fact that now as a leader, you know, there's a real drive to, it used to be that your actions you know, um, uh, promoted you. Now, you know, there's this huge drive towards you've got to build an online presence, you've got to build a personal brand. Mm. Um, I've met Tim, well, I didn't meet Tim, but we, you know, uh, we, I went through the Key Person of Influence program with Tim. I know, Beck, you're in this sort of space of helping mm. CEOs to promote their personal brand. Marty, you know, you're in this sort of online leadership education <laughs> space. Yeah, I've got you down by the river eating dinner, yeah. with the lights. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm excited. But, I mean, is it all fur coat, no knickers? Oh, hello. All this or no sausage. Or as they, or the, as they say in Texas, big hat, no cattle. If it's disingenuous, yeah. yes. Yeah. If it's disingenuous, absolutely. If it's genuine, that's fine. So... Again, uh, uh, it comes back to what what is the driver? What's mm. actually underneath it? Mm. Um, there's there's a lot of people that get into power uh, through ill means. Yeah, uh, they're the ones that create the disruptions in the world that are negative. Uh, whereas the ones that get through to power because they've st- stood for what it mm. is that they believe in uh, for the better, mm. yeah. uh, are the ones that actually make the true real difference. Mm. Yeah. We just need more of them. Yes. And so, what uh, do you think about people sitting back and watching Trump becoming president of the US? And going, well, the guy's a complete fraud, he's a complete liar, and, you know, a complete Machiavellian, and he's become president. So why should I try and do the right thing when I can win my biggest role model, the most powerful man in the world? But then, they, then, then you're giving into it. Yeah. So you can't give into it. That's just, it's a pendulum swing. Mm. It's a pendulum swing to allow those that have, have, have enough energy and enough um, get, get up and go to actually do something completely the opposite of that. Yeah. Uh, and and to to do something uh, greater than themselves, mm-hmm. um, and not be self-serving. Yeah, um, and I think that's part of the key is that um, that selflessness. You know, that is not a value that is encouraged so much anymore. That ability to give to others without a return. That the uh, transaction is not always—it's both ways, you know. Those that relationships are crucial, and you guys would know that that's what gets you to to be successful in business. It's about relationships and that ability to be bigger than yourself in a way, you know. And I think that's a value that needs to be encouraged and and more often than not um, valued and and given, you know, some kind of credit for big mm. time. There's a certain magic to doing things for the greater good. Yeah. There's a certain magic to that. 
Mm. Um, and it's not just about being selfless, but um, the self-driven culture that we have sees many, many people in power only concerned about themselves and only concerned about the implications of any event or any decision on them. Yes. And that self-interest is a killer. Yeah. Um, but people see through that. Don't we? We're well, that. We do, people right? see through yeah. that so easily. Yeah. And, and we are now. And as a result of that, we're going nowhere in terms of the government side of things. Mm. Um, and business, people see that in business. So mm. if someone's self-interested in their business and there's not a, a higher purpose towards it and a, uh, and, and a very, very clear um, understanding of what they're there to do and, and why, mm. um, then, then people see through that. And now the world is becoming more and more aware of this. Mm. Uh, business is becoming more and more aware. And as business becomes more and more aware, then government is certainly going to become more aware. Yeah. Um, so we're on a really fantastic pathway. Mm. Um, and one of you know, right at the beginning. Of this these are fun days. Yeah. It is. It is. It is. It's exciting. But we, we, at the same time, we have, by ha- even just us having people like we're not the only ones having these conversations. People mm. all around the world are having these conversations. Yeah, but ours is the best, though. <laughs> you know, you made true. you made a comment right it's at the beginning of this conversation, which was talking about artificial intelligence and industrialization and three D printing and so on and so forth, and then Marty made a comment which was, yeah, you know, Australia, we've, you know, we've always sort of really lagged behind in terms of the commercialisation of technology. And I wonder how long it is before this whole idea of countries gets dropped. You know, we yeah. are becoming a much more sort of global community. Um, we are able to communicate and share information and share technology and at an incredible, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. rate. At, at what point do people go, you know what, being Australian's a drag. Yeah. You know, I, if I just drop this identity of being Australian and I just am a human being, would that make life easier yeah. or harder? Well, look, look, not in our lifetime. You don't oh, think, I, I don't no know. way in our lifetime. Not, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, one of our greatest leaders ever, one of our greatest minds ever, ever is Einstein. Um, and Einstein had exactly that philosophy. He did not believe in national boundaries. Oh, sure. Well, yeah, many, many. Having the philosophy is awesome, but then when you get protectionist governments, uh, governments who are patriotic and nationalistic, and who uh, rail against globalisation and free trade, and if when you look at you know the, the biggest experiment being the European Union, and that's had its real issues in just getting the European Union together, which keeps some identity for the countries, but has some generic rules so that everyone can get on together. So Britain's exiting. We've had a few Thank basket you. cases over the years. Greece, Italy's in trouble now with its um, with its high levels of debt. So this stuff goes on, and you can't help but be nationalistic. But yeah, the Europeans yeah. are sort of interested. Well, I, I, I wait, watch this space. I think there's going to be some stuff coming mm. through in the technology space that's going to shift it quicker than we know. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll have a bet of even a better bottle of Shiraz than we've got on the table <laughs> now with you, Tim, because yeah. I know you can't drink it, and you can watch me drink <laughs> it when I, when I win. That we won't see the abolition of country boundaries in our lives. Oh, I, 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 I think you're right on that. I, but what I am saying is, I, I, I believe that we'll see the beginnings of it. It's something to aspire um, to. And and I believe it's going to happen quicker than we know because of the crypto world. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, and just starting to get your head around that, mm. um, what that's going to do for what, like, and, and it also that the, the, the power of the people is starting to run the agenda, which mm. is appropriate. Mm. Um, and we, we we're all going to have a voice soon. Now, when we all have a voice and we're all looking for connection, um, it's, I, 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 I can't see what it is. Mm. I can't see how it's going to happen. I just get a sense that we're moving towards that. Mm. Um, whether it's in our generation, our kids' generation, or the next generation, I think the process has started to move towards that. Mm. Can I just bring it back to the arts? Because like Marty, yeah. I'm a philistine. Yes. Uh, apart from rock and roll, of course. 
Yes, but that's yeah. an art. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, how, how are you seeing what we are experiencing and visualising in terms of the broader business context happening within the arts community? Well, I, I was just going to make the point that um, when I first started talking about the Asia-Pacific Triennial, which is on at GOMA, so that's embracing the whole of that whole Asia region coming to Brisbane every three years and these incredible relationships have been built. And a friend of mine, her name's Alexi Glass, she's a fantastic curator, said to me, you know, imagine if Sydney and Melbourne were Brisbane and Darwin, like the centres of our commerce and, in, and, you know, the capitals were up the top end. So mm. therefore we built these stronger relationships with Asia. You know, we are actually mm. in Asia. We are sure. an Asian country, really. Yeah. We're um, culturally British and American, but I think that's really interesting to mm -hmm. consider. Uh, and I was just thinking back, it's quite emotional, <laughs> but there's this great project called... By the uh, way, Beck's crying at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I talked to... So it's called the Women's Wealth Project, right. and it's in the gallery, and it's um, from Bogan, Bougainville. Yeah. So if you look at the history of Bougainville, like since the 90s, it's just been a war zone, which mm. has been driven by governments, Papua New Guinea, Australia's been involved, there's been a major mine involved. War zone and a copper mine, that's it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so this project brought these women together to make art but it's not like paintings it's what they do every day and it's kind of like seeing art the women's art as a form of resistance mm. against the tyranny and the violence of war mm. and that to me is so powerful mm. you know it's just beautiful and they all came <laughs> no no, no Beck, I, that's that's awesome because i've got a little tear in my eyes well over that because <laughs> because i can relate to that i can yeah. relate to that you know the the struggles that countries go, and to Tim's point earlier, we, we've just been hit in the ass with a rainbow being born here. Yeah. Uh, we, we weren't born in war zones. We weren't born in dictatorships. We have freedom of speech. We have civil liberties. We have all these things we should be grateful for. Yeah. But seeing how people are born into those situations and kids who are born into, you know, Mosul or the South Sudan mm. or Democratic Republic of Congo or Bougainville Island, you know, they don't have any choice. They find themselves in these situations that are horrific, Yeah. that, that are so impactful. And to yeah. see them um, having some sort of therapy to exercise the demons through art is just brilliant. Yeah. I, I just think it's so And great. so the gallery brought all those women to the gallery. Some women have never been on a plane and they mm. all stood in the gallery on Friday in front of their art as testament to that power. And it was just I mean that's what that what's that's what moves me beyond the norm is to mm. see how art works but how when the right institutions get involved and the right governments and the right communities and we work together like, so Bougainville and Australia and artists and curators and really smart people and really beautiful people and make things happen, that's changing everything. Mm. To, to Tim's changing, point... It's changing everywhere. To, yeah, to yeah. Tim's point, with the right purpose, for the yes. right reasons in exactly. the right context, right? Yeah. Mm. That's exactly. So, so yeah. I'm, I'm catching up with Danielle Shield tomorrow yeah. um, and she's got a business that uh, teaches people, women in India how to knit. Yes. And she, she gets them to knit for some of the famous fashion brands around the world. Is that her business or is that her not-for-profit? No, that's her business. Right, so I guess yeah. it's a commercial venture. It's a commercial venture. Right. Uh, but all the funds get reinvested back into oh, it. That's awesome. It's really good. And, mm. she, and her purpose is to knit the world together. Oh, right. wow. Beautiful. Yeah, so, Love it. So that's, that's <laughs> what's driving her. Yeah. Um, and uh, she's, she's just uh, uh, got some amazing, she's got 400 knitters at the moment. Uh, she's getting contracts now that she has to increase that by... 
uh, quite a, a, a number. Right. Yeah. Um, and what they're doing is, uh, and in India, if you uh, get one female, one female to learn how to knit so that they can knit during the week, um, and it means that they can support seven of their family for wow. that week. Right? Um, and that means that they can then teach, send their kids. So they don't send the kids out to beg for money. Mm-hmm. It means that they can remove the begging issue. And then the, uh, um, the manipulation, you know, where they blind their children. Oh, the mutilation. All the mutilation. All, yeah. mutilation. Yeah. all of that. So yeah. now they right. can start going to schools That's because awesome. there's enough money and time mm-hmm. to go yeah. to the schools. There's another gentleman I met yeah, on Friday, um, Terry Paul um, from the Findex Group, and he's got an innovation coming through that's going to change the whole water situation mm. uh, in India and places like that. So they're not going to have to go walk so mm. far for, wow. for water. It's going Amazing. to be. Um, so there's all this innovation coming out, but there's, there's all these wonderful people out there that are going into these countries yes. going, how can I. Individuals. Help? Individuals. Danielle's spent. I don't want it, a lot of her own money, her entire wealth to go and do this mm. and put everything on the line yeah. because she was drawn towards it. Yeah. And you go, oh my God, mm. those sort of people are amazing. They're Absolutely. the ones that are changing the world. Mm. And yeah. it, it is, that's the point, Beck. It's yeah. an individual. Mm. Yeah, yeah, mm. you're so right. Yeah. Now, can yeah. I just uh, have a little intermission and say this charade? <laughs> It is cracking. I was hoping you guys weren't going to discover it. You were just going to stay on the Pinot because I'm loving it. The Pinot's all done. That's why. Can you you also state that we are actually in the evening? We're not during the Yeah. (laughs) It is now uh, 5 to 7 p.m. Beck. Yeah. You're at the Brisbane Club. You use a new glass for the new glass. Oh, wine. God. That's right. no, no, such no. a having heaven. Your, having your Shiraz out of a Pinot glass. glass. That's, sorry, how, <laughs> how well did you say you know the arts, Beck? Talk, yeah. talk me through that. It's yeah. fantastic. We have been talking. We just for, get wine in a plastic cup, talking. babes. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking for a bit over an hour. Would anybody like a bathroom break? Right. Right. No, right. right. I'm, I'm great, great. Thank you. Okay, yeah, I'm okay, having cool. fun. So, anyway, I want to come back to, you know... I'll give you a, uh, a very basic. I'm going to try example. and pour that in there. I'll make it. It'll just go no, everywhere. No, no, I'll no. just leave it in I'll there. Give it for you, Beck, if you want. <laughs> I'm an ex-barman. Right. I'm really? Um, Do you want to give it a go? Here's a very basic, basic <laughs> example. My brother, who has had a very wild Jeez. and uh, you know interesting life, uh, now mm. he lives in a bus. Well he actually lives Thank in you. the. No. Yeah, have you heard of that movie Red Dog? Oh, yeah. Yes. My brother bought the bus from that movie and wow. he lives in that bus. Okay. And he lives in <laughs> Is southern... Is he your older or younger brother? No, uh, two years younger. Okay. He lives in uh, southern Western Australia near Albany at a place called Denmark and he carves art out of wood with a chainsaw. He sells it online. He never sees a customer. He lives in a bus in the middle of the forest. You know, um, he makes a living. He doesn't make an amazing living. But, you know, the uh, the whole technology and, the, you know, everything has enabled him to basically revert to a very sort of minimalistic lifestyle with a laptop. And, um, I mean, what's happening in the art space? Because we've talked a lot about the business space, but in the art space, I can only imagine there must be massive change, massive innovation going on. And yet, at the same time, art is fundamentally, you know, a very sort of traditional medium. Mm. Are you meaning within the way the market works, or, or just, with just the way the works, mate? With the whole lot. First of all, I've got to say, I love Denmark. I once walked from Perth to Denmark for six weeks mm. because six hundred k's. 
I was amazing. Because... <laughs> Sorry, can you just say that? You why, why did you do that? From Perth to Denmark. Yeah, for six weeks, it was 600 Ks. It was I crazy. Beck was in a relationship with a juggler for years. It was yeah. after I broke up with the juggler and I was with his mother. You're not in a relationship. <laughs> no. This is getting way too weird. Um, <laughs> so you need some time to have a good hunt, I think. <laughs> exactly. I, I can understand walking from Perth to the Margaret River because that has a purpose at the end of it. So why yes. Denmark? Well, I don't know. It was something like it was part of this great walk network and it was like 10 years before we did the walk, it was like a big protest walk. So we started in the centre of Perth, like in the town square, and we walked out and we kept walking for six weeks. And I thought I was only going to go for two weeks. Like, I thought, oh, God, who could walk for six weeks? I'm there for two. But it was like a little microcosm of the universe. So the biggest issue was the old men wouldn't wash up. Because <laughs> everyone up, had to wash do... Wash up themselves or wash, wash up the dishes Wash up the dishes afterwards. Right. And they kept wanting to go first out into the bush to, to lead the way. So, you know, and there were affairs. There were, like, probably children were probably came out of this walk. Really? You know, it was wild. On the walk. Oh, everyone's interested now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just counting back to see when I was born. So, uh, no, I think I'm okay. I think I, I, think I escaped that one. Um, it started off about... Couple of hundred, then they also petered off to thirty, and then it went back up to two hundred. This is a walk you were on. Yeah, right. Okay. This is back so long ago in right, the nineties. Right. Yeah, in the nineties. Yeah, this, is, this I know. has got a shitload of Forrest Gump in it. Right? <laughs> it does. But it was fantastic. I'm just trying to get my head around them. This I know. Is how you, it's bizarre, like, isn't it, it? It is very bizarre. But um, well, the well, whole you... thing was every day you got up and you put all your bags on a truck, and then that truck would drive ahead to camp and build a whole kitchen. And you'd walk in, you'd have a three-course meal, you'd t- set up your tent off the truck, you'd have, you know, s- sing songs. Like, it was an amazing event. Mm. So that's why I was like, I'm never leaving this. I'm mm. going to get to Denmark. Right. Anyway, that's away from your question, which is where the arts are. Um, I no, think... I'm just going to math of it going, there's only 600 k's to Denmark. <laughs> it <laughs> is. Another, another good Only 100 k weeks probably be soft. I'm just going... Another good mate of mine from back in back in those that era was a guy who's an artist named Kim Demuth. Do you know him? I do know him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Brisbane-based artist. So that uh, he and I worked together as orderlies at a hospital. Oh god! <laughs> oh wow! The things you do when you're going through university. But anyway, he he was finding that he was in his studio and he was drinking a bottle of wine and then two bottles of wine every day. You know, and then realised, oh shit, I've got a problem. You know, I'm drinking way too much. So he went to that El Camino Trail, you know, the one oh, yeah, in Spain. Yeah. In Spain, yeah. And that was his um, recovery. He just walked that whole trail without having a drink and came back, you know, as a reformed alcoholic. Mm. Wow. So, you know. Walking is good. Remind me to stay away from the El Camino Trail. <laughs> <laughs> I do like walking. I, don't think I love walking. If oh, we well, should get, get down there. Walk, walk, I just, I really do enjoy it. Because and, and, you get into that meditative state. Yeah. Uh, and, you, and, and it does help you release all the thoughts. So yeah, if you go and the landscape enough, changes. You've you, you got to go over a couple of hours. got to go six weeks, mate. Six weeks. Might not look at that. I'll definitely, I'll definitely take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> that I like that sort of stuff. Yeah, it was really good. But I think um, what's interesting me, me at the moment about contemporary art is um, uh, artists of uh, Indigenous heritage working mm. in a contemporary art space. Okay. So they're... They're contemporary artists. They've got um, Aboriginal parents or heritage, but they're making the most 
powerful work that's happening right now because of using both those not that knowledge that culture and and those techniques into making incredible work and I think that's the most and the most exciting thing is Brisbane is where it's really at in Australia right now for that kind of work so I think uh, we underestimate how much um, influence Brisbane artists have on the world in that way like this is where it's at not just Powderfinger. <laughs> Not even Powderfinger. They're gone. The no, major, I never said the that. Bee Gees, the Bee Gees. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, like everything, like everything we're talking about, it all comes back to the individual, like the arts, you know, business, relationships. It's all about, like, integrity mm. and genuine voice. Mm. You know, that's what make it, makes a great artist and a great business person is if you have a genuine voice, meaning you truly resonate and talk who you really are and what you really believe in. Mm-hmm. Which comes back to what you were saying, wasn't it, Tim? Absolutely. Around so, brand. Well, it is. So, I mean, when you know you're on brand, it means you know yourself. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what you're part of. Yeah. Uh, and so I keep coming back to the art side of things and going, I kind of wish I had the capability to do art. Yes. To properly express myself mm. in that way, in that creative space. But I didn't do arts at school. Mm-hmm. I did maths and science. Mm. I didn't do too well in science. Mm. Actually, I didn't do too, too well in maths. <laughs> but but I, you've yeah. done really well otherwise. <laughs> where's, this, where's this going, Tim? <laughs> but, He's going to be walking and painting really, soon. I was really good at finger painting. <laughs> you've been enormously successful. And look, I'm, I'm fortunate. My youngest daughter is incredibly artistic, musical, and, mm. and in terms of painting and so forth. Uh, she went to the Queensland Academy for Creative Industries out of Kelvin Grove there near QUT. Um, fantastically talented girl and comes with the tortured artist's psyche, do you know what mm. I mean, which is so cliched, but you know, but it's, it's, um, it seems to be part and parcel of being able to express yourself with a level of integrity and authenticity is that pain that comes through with it. Mm. And she's only very young, she's only 22, but um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what she actually does in the world. Yeah. So do you think that's a persona that she's taken on because she's felt that's expected of somebody in that space, or do you think it's real? Oh, no, it's definitely real. Right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely real. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I obviously I, knew her as a young you, you did, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I think that um, that I think artists <coughs> sometimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I see it as uh, an outlet or an expression of that internal dissonance and pain that you're feeling, mm. and it, it, it enables you to create stuff that is... Uh, above average. Mm. Now, so what you say is, I'm too happy to ever have a career in the arts. Well, I certainly am. Right. Um, but I, you know, I haven't had that sort of that sort of experience and pathway as I grew up and came through as an adult. So mm, right. I've, I've had my share of shit, but you know, well, I've ev- seen, everyone does. I've seen Richard in white, white tights. It wasn't white <laughs> on I, the stage. I hope not in recently. I hope not recently, because a few years ago it would have been a better look. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was uh, back in the day playing lead guitar. But uh, Marty, is it, are we talking lemons, uh, leather Zen days, or uh, probably pre that, Dirt and the Rebels? Oh, or, yeah. uh, or what was the, the great the name girlies? of that band? God, you no, guys go one. way back. City Cops. Then there was another one that was like uh, um, uh, Road Maggot. Yeah, Road Maggot. Yeah, this so. is where we're at, guys. Road <laughs> Maggot. Yeah. Anyone, anyone who's listening, there's a premium in coming up with band names because there are so few good ones out there. Anyone that can come up with a good band name? The Trough Lollies. Well, but uh, well, well, Marty has seen me on stage in China oh. 
I in had... my underpants with a uh, seven veil belly dancer. Oh, wow. God. That is hot. And a chopper moustache, <laughs> having a, a bunch of Chinese businessmen rub my tummy for the life. Fortunately, I was too, I was too <laughs> drunk. I was too drunk to remember the image. I've got to say, though, we're on, we're on this trip and we're in Beijing. Six at once. And it was, it was the end of the night, in fact. It was close to sun up, and we had to get a flight back the next day. Yeah, and so we were, in, we were in bad shape. Yeah. But anyhow, we go into this bar in Beijing, and there was a guy there who saw us come in because we, we went where the tourist traps weren't. Yeah. And we're in this tiny bar and this guy was learning English. And he was sort of like the kingpin around, like one of those, you know, legend in his own lunchbox type guys. And he was sitting there with his bottle of Chivas Regal and his shot glass. And so he sat us down and started giving us shots, which we so needed at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> um, anyhow, the, the, the entertainment comes on. There's this belly dancer that's out there. She's gorgeous. The band's playing. And Richard leans over to me and whispers, I'm going to nude up. And I've gone... Do you think that's a good idea, Richard? No, what I actually going, said was, Marty, here's my camera. Make sure you take some photos. <laughs> and, and I did. And, uh, and that dancer disappeared and we never saw her again that and, night. And I wasn't nude. I, uh, he had his tidy whities on. I stripped off to mate. We were very, very drunk. And he was, I was on stage. Uh, she runs off to the heavens. Yeah. I'm like, Drunk this is your Aussie moment. In China, drunk Aussie in China with my chopper moustache. Yeah, we wonder and, why Australians uh, get a bad name overseas. Yeah, yeah, no, it was us. Where that came from. It was us. Needless <laughs> to say, the China trip was cancelled for many years. Ago. It was. It was. <laughs> <laughs> How do we get to that? I suppose I'm more interested in, you know, traditionally it would have been the artist is the creative. Yeah. They have the manager who is the business person. You know, much like musicians back in the day when consistently get ripped off all yeah. the time. Yeah, look, yeah. At, look at Billy Giles. Oh, mm. Mate, mm. Like what happened there was just ridiculously oh, bad. Any of them, you know. Um, now, there's a direct channel to market. Yeah. It must be changing the entire face of it. Oh, definitely. Because whereas for Marty to be successful in business as the CEO of CS Energy, yeah. that's a massive operation. And, you mm. know, for my brother to go, well, you know what, I'm going to get a chainsaw and you know, carve some statues mm. and sell them online. Yeah. He can make a fantastic living yeah. with a chainsaw. Yeah. And it's great to have that choice. Yeah. It's great to have that choice. And yeah. I guess yeah. the arts is so like specific around what kind of art you do and where, it, where the market is or where it will be shown. So mm. you've got um, your big institutions that will purchase work. That's of the highest calibre. Mm. Then you have your commercial galleries where um, if they're contemporary artists, they're cutting edge, mm. but they're still saleable. Then you have other galleries that are cutting edge, but they'll be purchased by the Tate Modern right. overseas. And then you'll have artists that make great work and they sell it online. Mm. So, you know, putting yeah. art, you know, art is multi-layered oh, and it's all about context. Yeah. And it's about where the work's shown. You know, and it's I, the same deal. Yeah, I was on the ABC radio on one of the... Uh, there with Kelly and yeah. uh, uh, there was a journalist on there with me and afterwards I said what are you up to she said oh look I've had a kid uh, you know I've been writing a theatre um, what do you call them a play yeah. and uh, you know I'm out there pitching this play and I thought I thought to myself I wouldn't even have the first idea the first idea how to pitch a play no but, but it's not part of your identity yeah mm. so everything comes back to the identity that we're choosing at yeah. any given point in time in a, in a couple of years, or in a three years, if you lo- if you lose your current identity and then choose mm. to create a new one, mm. then you might f- see how you might be able to create something. Mm. Like mm. 
And I suppose we're all relatively a similar age. You're a lot younger, of course. Oh, but, you know, I mean, it is... You've got to believe take, No, just take that. <laughs> okay, yeah. You're going through a professional identity shift. Yes. But fundamentally, you're still Martin Moore. Oh, completely. You know, completely. you've been through a whole bunch of iterations, as have most of us. Yeah, but yeah, my identity uh, uh, transforms constantly. Right. <laughs> and now yeah. you drink scotch. Yeah. <laughs> you can transform. But, I mean, uh, is there an opportunity to deliberately transform one's identity in order to completely recreate oneself? Well, you, you, if you do that, you've got to make sure that you let go of the past. And we all, we all go through a, a transition of identities. Right. Um, and we, 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 the identities are created by the choices we make at the time and then the patterns we go mm. into. Mm. So for me, um, it, when I lived in Sydney, I had an identity and everyone saw me as someone that worked for t the telecommunications corporate being Telstra. Mm. And I had an identity wrapped around that. Mm. Uh, for me to then to move into business coaching, it was too much of a shift for my friends to even understand mm. that I'd shifted out of a corporate into going into coaching, which was a very, very new, this was almost 20 years ago now, yeah. which was a very, very new industry. And so it was a new identity and they couldn't, they couldn't grasp it. Mm. Uh, it was really hard for them to grasp. And so yes. as a result, it was very hard for me to explain it mm. and then to relate to it. Yeah. So when we shift from one identity to another, we need to also be conscious of how we communicate that and yeah. how we actually bring other people into yeah. that. Completely. Um, what, I, what I actually ended up doing is I moved to Brisbane. Mm. Um, and could so, so you could reset your identity properly. You had to leave town. I like joined the French Foreign Legion. Well, it's it's not yeah. dissimilar. No, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was given the opportunity to come up and start the, the the consulting business up here, the coaching and consulting business up here. And what I did is I decided to do it for a few years just to shift the perception of all the relationships I had up there, so I could build a relationship up here. But they all now they all now see me. All my friends now see me as the business consultant coach. It just so happens I never moved back to Sydney because it was just, it's... it's well, what do they say? Jesus was just a carpenter's son in Nazareth. Right. What does that it's, mean? It's one way to that. Well, but, you know, his, the, the, the community only knew Jesus as oh, yeah. the yeah. carpenter. Yeah. You know, it wasn't until he got on his donkey and, yeah. you know, rode out into the hills and that look, people started saying really, he's the son of the Messiah. Yeah. I, I really yeah, think I'm, that... I'm, I'm, I appreciate the analogy. Thank you, Richard. With, <laughs> with, with, these, with these transitions, with these transitions there's, there's two points I'd make. The first one is you can't turn yourself into something you're not. Mm -hmm. So you can't try and transition to something that isn't completely authentic no. and continuous for you, even though it's a new identity. And the second thing is... People really underestimate how much of their uh, self-image and social image is tied up to their job title. Yeah. Mm. And, and it's incredible how much of it is actually tied up in that. Yeah. So it takes actually quite a strong person to do what you did, Tim, and transition away from the corporate role where you are a general manager or vice president or whatever it is, and then go to something that's completely different where you give up the yep. title that everyone else looks at and goes, wow, Tim, that's awesome. Mm. And then you go and do something different. Yeah, everyone and thought I was an idiot. Yeah, that's courageous. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it is. It's courageous. And, and all you need to do is make that transition yourself, as I've done a couple of times, and you yeah. go, right. So yeah. the other day, I was chief information officer of this major company in ASX50. Today, I'm not. And isn't it amazing how people treat me differently? Because mm. the first question is, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's crazy. And but, yeah. you might get, I don't know, I might be wrong on this, but I think for men, that is more true than women. Yeah. Because... 
Um, when I had twins 13 years ago, my identity changed for years. Absolutely. I became the mother of twins. One was very sick, so then I became the mother of disabled, you know, the child that could have been facing a disability. Mm. She's okay now. Um, she's great, actually, but, you know, that was... And then it took me years to be able to come back and be me, you know, and I'm still coming, transiting out of that identity shift into who I am now. Yeah. Mm. But within that, I've really been able to turn it around. And, like, two a year ago, I started a whole new business coming out of the learnings I'd had from what I've done in the past is Aphrodite, the gods of love and a hot pink TV, and started a whole new media company around uh, people... Uh, people telling their stories by my conversation with them and it's just gone wild mm. and I never thought that would happen like I never thought at this point in my life I could find this whole new life and this whole new career and this whole new way of of earning a living mm. and uh, it's just gone off but I think it's because I dared to do it I just went I'm just going to try this and I just did it and it worked and it just keeps working so I think but you found a market I found a market by, yeah. but kind of by not meaning to. You know what no, I mean? No, absolutely. Yeah, but I, I think the thing, you know, uh, and we're now almost two bottles of wine in, so we can start, <laughs> to, get, we can start to get a little bit deep. You're going to dance on the table. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, the night is young. Come uh, on, nude up, nude up, Dickie. Come on. No, no, um, <laughs> you know, the reality is that, you know, we did a podcast a few weeks ago, mm. and you were like, oh, I'm doing this amazing work, and, and Bex. Uh, her life to Facebook video stuff is amazing. It is absolutely incredible, and it's so captivating, and, and I love it. You know, to the point where I want to partner with you on things. Yeah. And yet, Bexie, you're going. Oh, you know, I'm not making any money. I think I need to go and be a, um, you know, a uh, sell tickets on the ferry. Sell tickets <laughs> on the ferry, right? You know, and, and I nearly, and, I, I, you know, I'm, no, I don't think it's going to happen. But yeah, and for me too. You know, I've had my business for almost ten years, and I can tell you, there've been many, many moments where I've gone, "Holy crap!" You know, this is just, this is too wild a ride for me. And yeah. you know, um, and Marty has left a CEO role. You know, um, regardless one of you know the, the leading CEOs in Queensland mm. to start this entrepreneurial opportunity. And, you know, Tim's business um, is constantly going through massive evolution. Yeah. So, so I think we're sitting here, uh, and you know, for people who are listening in, you know, if we were to drop the mask of and, and just sort of get into, you know, the uh, the raw nature of trying to recreate yourself and being an entrepreneur, it is fucking hard. Yeah. And it is incredibly. It's scary, and it is you know full of frustration, and it's you, you um, and you know, and yet there is a certain level of tenacity and perseverance that is just required. Mm. And I know for myself, sitting here today, you know, my business has been the most profitable it's been in the last two months, and it's been in probably five years. Wow! You know, it's mm. amazing. You know, but it, um, I had to go through that dark side of the moon, you know, to 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 get to this space mm. and. Um, I could have quit at any time. Yeah. yeah. Every, everything, uh, there's a great saying, I, I wish I could remember who said it, but everything you want is on the other side of fear. Yeah, um, completely. And uh, the, the thing around take it, all of that, Marty? There's no way I'd do the, that. The, the, <laughs> the, the reason for that is uh, whichever endeavour that we choose to choose, uh, choose to choose, uh, whichever endeavour we choose to um, move towards means we've got to go build new capability because we don't have the capability to do it in the first place. Mm. Um, and then when we work out that we've got to build the capability 
and work through that, then we can achieve the outcome. Mm. Uh, but it takes time and it takes uh, the, the perseverance and the commitment to it is mm. extraordinary for any cause mm. that you actually want to do. Yeah. And, well, and the courage. Yeah, you've got to have the courage yeah. to start, which holds a lot of people back. That's why, yeah. you know, Absolutely. these are these are hurdles that are put there to stop the pretenders. Yeah. yeah. And you've got to take knockbacks, you've got to take negative feedback from yeah. everyone. Totally. Um, and, and you take negative feedback from people that are close to you as well, saying don't do that, because they, they want to keep you safe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. People that love you the most want to keep you safe. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, you've, really got, good point. You've, got to, you've got to take them on the journey as well, mm. sort of saying, you no, 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 no. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I must I'm, I'm lucky. I've got a wife who believes in me so unequivocally yeah. that she just lets me have my mind. And, yeah. and when I explain to her what I'm doing, she goes, well, clearly you're going to be successful. Mm. So that's great. And I've got a daughter who's my biggest fan who I'm in business with. Yeah. Uh, oh, what wow. could possibly go wrong? Gina Reinhardt said it works really well to be in business with the kids. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, but, but, but it is, but it is it's incredibly a different, different rewarding. world these days. So. Oh, it mm. is, it is. But, and, and she knows all the stuff I don't. Mm. Um, and so she built our website, had never done it before, and just went, I, I can work this out. I can, I can figure mm. it out. I had, I had 50 grand in the budget for building our first cut website, you know, just a Only r- rudimentary thing. Just a, just, <laughs> no, just a rudimentary thing. I just said, you know, we'll just get something up and running. Mine got six. And, I and made I, my own. But Emma's gone, no, I just, I just put a budget out there for, for right. website and SEO. And she's just gone, yeah, I can do this. Right. And she taught herself how to build a website. And you go and look at it, it looks as good Who as anything Who did your wife or your daughter? My daughter. Yeah, right. My daughter, Emma. Amazing. Yeah. She's just incredible. because and did she everything come in under budget? As she, well, so far under budget's not funny. But as, as Marie Folio says, everything is figureoutable. Everything is. Oh, and particularly like these days, you've got so much access to market intelligence mm. and information. You can target your customers so easily. Yeah. I don't know how people used to start businesses, but these days, you at least have all those tools there. So you've got mm. no excuses, mm. right? It's, yeah. it's fantastic. I think the, the flip side of what I just said about um, being a woman, like being mm. a man, particularly if you have a family, and, you know, I, I think it's the case for everyone, but generally the, the males, the way things are set up, are uh, the bigger wage earners. So I think sometimes men feel they can't take a risk because the family's dependent on uh, them for sure. and they've got to pay the mortgage. Absolutely. And so, and I, just referring back to the arts, I know, I know quite a lot of men who went, oh, I can't do this anymore mm. because I've got a family now mm. and I have to get a real job mm. and they went and got real jobs and they're not happy in them. And I think that's... That's the, every that's guy a, I've ever played a man with. Yeah, that's yeah right. but that's the shadow it, side of really the is. system is that yeah. men are trapped into um, earning the bucks to pay what they have to do and often, you know, oh, you guys so, are different, you've taken the risk, but sometimes... So imagine, a lot of people, it's harder. If, imagine if we're all taught entrepreneurship at school, mm. which is... Well, the, the definition of an entrepreneur is someone that creates something new from a problem that exists today. Yeah. They just change something that needs changing mm. and they find a gap in the market and they commercialise it. Imagine yeah. if that was taught in all of our schools. Yeah. I'd just be happy if they taught in schools what a mortgage is well, and what compounding interest is and how credit cards can get you into the ship oh, because kids come out without these skills yeah. and they get into a lot of trouble very, very quickly. Absolutely. What about super? Oh, I know, I know. I know nothing. I know. <laughs> I know enough to know that it's the worst investment you could possibly make because... Yeah, so, so business skills. My, my daughter's yeah. doing business skills at the moment at school and she's chosen that as her topics for year 11 and 12. And the stuff that she's going through now is the stuff that I learned at university. Mm. Absolutely. Now, I suppose the reality is that not everybody going through school needs to be or has a desire to be a business person, but everybody going through school needs to be able to good at building good interpersonal relationships. Mm. Everybody needs to be good at sales, not in, you know, the sort of... We all need to understand our value. 
Yeah, we, you know, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or a mother or a receptionist or whatever, you still you're selling your employer, you're selling your peers, you said whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, you know, that's absolutely true. I, but um, I, th- I think it, it, you can't generalise and say people need a particular skill set. No, you can't, you can't mean, generalise the, on anything. The, the tortured artist, you know, Marty. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the, it's a cliche, right? I think I called Dali, it out as a cliche. Yeah. Salvador Dali, who I'm very excited about, they've re-released his cookbook. Did oh, you know he had a cookbook? No. So he has this amazing cookbook about, you know, like 50 meals you'd cook when your ship's sinking or Is something. It, Oh, oh, let's hope it's gluten free, otherwise it won't sell in today's market. <laughs> but, 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 anyway, Beck, I wanna... but hang on, you know, Sorry, go um, on. I mean, the art, the, the traditional idea of a tortured artist is so far from being a business person, mm. you know, yeah. um, uh, or being a care worker, or being, uh, you know, a whole variety, a yeah. plethora of other professions. But there just seems to be this coming together. Mm. You know, of you know, if you want to be a teacher, you've got to be a good business person. If you want to be an artist, you've got to be a good business person. No, but the, the, the whole thing is, we don't. We, none of us need to be good at everything, mm. but we do need to have some common foundations mm. around certain elements so that yeah. we can all work together, mm. as you say, around relationships. Mm. Mm. Um, and if we all have a common philosophy around the fact that the life is all about value exchange, mm. Mm. Uh, absolutely, and value exchange is not necessarily money. Uh, it can be knowledge. It can mm. be gifts it can be there's a whole lot of other ways that we can value exchange but if yeah. we just walk around if we all everyone in the world decided well let's go see how much value we could exchange mm. um, and, and, and and see what we could do with that across borders as you were saying Mark, yeah. um, what would the world be like I like that uh, yeah and look uh, this this uh, you know, I'm a massive believer in the economic principles of specialization of labor and comparative advantage right mm. so my favorite eight words in life are surely I can pay someone to do that Right. Now, why would I do something I'm absolutely crap at, and that is mm. anything to do with home maintenance, yeah. Yeah. when I can pay a specialist to come in and do it? Mm. So I figured years ago, I'm really bad at this stuff, and I don't enjoy it. So why would I persevere with it when I'd be much better off spending my time learning how to make money so I can pay a specialist to come in and do mm. that? I hear right. and, so, and so I think specialisation of labour is really so, important. So can I just uh, take... So when you're in a small surely I can pay we someone barter a lot. Yeah, exactly. So, so exactly. when I first started and, and and started the businesses and getting into the coaching and stuff like that, I would we would barter around um, knowledge exchange. Mm. Absolutely. And I still do it today. Um, and, and we sort of say, I'll give you this if you give me that. Mm. And and the bartering system is alive and well in the small oh, and medium enterprise, yeah, which, sure is, it is. which which is fantastic yeah. because we actually we start to understand each other's value proposition outside of money. Yeah, mm. no, that's yeah. right, absolutely. And look, Beck, I just want to come back to your point quickly yeah. about this this dark side for men with the expectation of being the, I guess, the major earners mm. in a partnership. It's not always that way, and I know plenty of relationships yeah. where totally. the female is, is, is the greatest, but it's probably majority, more often than not, yeah. that's the case. And that's the way the system's um, set up. It is the way the system's set up, yeah, you're absolutely right. And then there's the biological factors of, you know, when the kids are young, it's more intuitive for the mother to stay at home yeah. than the father, and that tends to be the way it works out for the majority of cases, yeah. I suspect. Um, but, you know, I've been incredibly lucky um, during my life to have the flexibility and the autonomy to do the things I wanted to do in my career. Yeah. And I always like to say that, um, you know, there's a lot of luck and timing in this CEO caper, yeah. right? And you look at CEOs who are completely rubbish, who do well because they're timing in an industry at a point in time where all the economic factors are driving them in the right direction. Mm. It, you know, puts them into a really su- successful space. Mm. And other times when outstanding executives, outstanding CEOs 
are in a six-star shitty industry and they can't get their company to perform. And this happens all the time, right? Yeah. So I was one of the lucky guys, right? And I, I, I always say good shit happens to me all the time for no apparent reason, just because I expected to, right? <laughs> and so I'm, I'm on the lucky end of this. So, so my step into the entrepreneurial space is nowhere near as courageous as most people's would be because mm-hmm. I'm well capitalised, I've yeah. had a great career in corporate, I've got some money behind me, I don't have good to worry about a lot of the things, great connections, a good Rolodex, I don't have to worry about the same sorts of things that a lot of startup people do. Yeah. And so, so to a certain extent, I'm not feeling that pain yet. Now, I'm sure there'll be plenty of pain for me along the way, don't get me wrong, yeah. but it might be a different type of pain. Yeah. But but this I, I, this I whole would, expectation I, is, is I would is offer you a counter-argument to that, and I want to come back to your you know, position in a minute, Beck, is that... Yeah. Uh, an entrepreneur who's starting from a base point of zero, any gain that they make is self, you know, um, appeasing and and makes them feel, hey, I'm on the right track. In some respects, you have been not at the pinnacle of your career by any stretch of the imagination, but you've been in a very public senior CEO role. You're now going into a highly entrepreneurial uh, endeavour and you know if that endeavor doesn't succeed or if you know a lot of your initial uh, engagements with prospective clients you know they come back and say actually marty we really don't want to buy you want to buy sure you've got a lot more to lose from an egotistical point of view um no so i'll I'll give another view on that as well no no because i because i really like it when multiple people tell me how i think and feel that's good I'm only, I'm only kidding. No, you know you're, I mean? you're like, spot on, but I want to, I want to hear what Tim has to say. Well, me, I see, I see you what know, you're saying. Sorry, keep going. Uh, I'll tell you finished. Um, you know, for for the uh, the burgeoning entrepreneur who is like, well, I'm really excited. Like, where could this get to? It's a different proposition to you saying, hey, in CEO land, I was highly regarded, and you know, I was invited to give presentations, and I was regarded as a thought leader, and and now I'm out there having to peddle, you know, my own sort of leadership education, what, what if the market doesn't, you know, share my enthusiasm for it? How does that affect um, your own sort of self-worth in terms of the commitment to what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, and, and look, that's, and that's okay. I'm, I'm really at peace with this because this is my life's purpose. This is what I'm drawn to. Mm. And um, as I've said to Emma, look, you know, I expect that we're going to be wildly successful and we will be. Mm. But let's say we're not. If mm. all I did was to put out uh, a high-quality a podcast every Wednesday morning for a year mm. and made this content available for free mm. to leaders in the world who could pick it up and learn things from it. And some of the emails I'm getting, I'm going, that's why I'm doing this. That's, mm. that's all mm. I wanted. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, emails from, from you know, young leaders saying, I've just gone in this new role. I was completely, you know, full of anxiety. I didn't know what to do. I was so stressed. I hated going to work in the morning. Mm. I found your podcast and now it's okay. Mm-hmm. And now I understand it. Now, I'm, now I've got my shit together. I'm taking control, I'm doing these things. If I get one of those emails every week, mm. I'm just going, that's why I'm doing this. Yeah. I don't care, that's it. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm in it for impact, not for income. Yeah. Sure. And, and sure, at some point in time, you've got to pay the mortgage and put food in the fridge, but, but it's about the impact. Mm-hmm. And sure, if I have to go with my tail between my legs and get a job in two years' time, so be it. Yeah. You know, do yeah. I think it's going to happen? No. Mm. I've got well, to say, my experience is the exact opposite, because mine came out of necessity mm-hmm. when my marriage broke up, I've got two kids, I'm a single mum with two kids, and realised I needed to do something. And then um, I made my own website. I broadcast directly to Facebook, which is free. I um, built 
my business from my networks and just doing great work, just me at the front, front through a phone, <laughs> straight to Facebook. So I had Absolutely. no, I had nothing. I had no money. I had no um, infrastructure. And I think it was just through, uh, well, I had great contacts and I have a skill. And so I just brought those two together. And, you know, it's just interesting that the two, you know, like, you build sure. a $50,000 website. I just had to use Facebook for free through my, for, through my phone. So, you know, yeah, that was, sort that of was my different... budget until my daughter showed up and said, Dad, you're not spending that. I'll get it sorted for you, right? Yeah, so, yeah but, but, I, but I, I know what you mean. It's a I guess it's for a anyone world. listening yeah. to these conversations, like, I think if you have a great idea and a passion and they're willing to take a risk and just doing it, like, I just kept doing it. I just kept turning up to Absolutely. events. I kept going there. I kept making mistakes. I kept really failing multiple times because either sound wouldn't work or because it was new technology and realizing along the way that um, Facebook Live wasn't viable anymore because it wasn't reliable, shifted the model to something, record it, still on my phone, upload it directly. I've got a whole new market now because I've got great content that's solid. You know, I think that's the key is like taking risks but being open to what everyone tells you completely listening and then changing for what everyone wants so here's here's the key thing that you just mentioned then yeah is content yes so there's a lot of content out there in the world it's about having the content that relates mm. right and now when I, I feel like there's so many people and and for yourself martin as well i mean like you are going to be successful in what yeah, you're doing and, and the sense. reason is because you're leveraging your asset yeah now the thing is in world in the world we have to create assets in our in our in ourselves through our experiences you don't create an asset unless you have an experience mm. so every negative experience like yourself Richard what you've been going through and um, you've created an asset out of that which means that you're going to pop out of it and there are going to be all sorts of mm. beautiful revenue opportunities that are going to pop mm. out of it now it's how we make sure that we stay true to the asset then we were able to then commercialize it. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, oh, yeah. Yeah, so if you know what your asset is, yes. right, then you know how to then uh, work out how yeah. to actually then communicate some content around the asset. Mm. If you don't know what your asset is, like all you're doing is then communicating and commentating on everyone else's communication. That is yes. spot on. Yeah. Absolutely spot on, yeah. yeah. And I, that's 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 why I have this level of confidence is because I am completely clear on what my superpower is, yes. on what I'm good at, what yep. I'm not good at, yeah. and I know what I have to offer. Yeah. And I know that that offering is only going to hit a small percentage of the people who pick up my content. But that's okay. I don't mm. want to hit everyone. I want mm. to get people who and just be can take a hard message directly yes. and, and beware of... Sorry? Kryptonite. Kryptonite, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just, no, that's, that's exactly that's right. right. Just yeah. beware sure. of the people that are the naysayers. When you know what your asset is, you are you you move towards it. Absolutely, just, just be aware of the kryptonite. And Technology the is my kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think coming back to you know this uh, delineation between male and female responsibility. Mm. Oh. Um, back to that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm the only female in the room. I've got something to say. I've got something. <laughs> we had a few laps of this moment. Let's come on, Dickie. In a traditional Indigenous community, let's yes. pick the Australian Aboriginals. You know, there were certain people within the tribe who were excellent at hunting. There were certain people who were excellent at, you know, foraging, and there were certain people who were excellent at building the structures. There were certain people who were excellent at mining the children. There were certain people who were excellent at 
you know, leading the spiritual development of the community. And it was a very much, it was a shared cooperative environment and people traditionally worked a couple of hours a day, you know, and the rest of the time was around free time and leisure and, you know, building community. We're now in a situation where you've got a husband and a wife and 2.2 kids and a dog sitting in a box, mm -hmm. you know, who are expected to be all things to either party. And, yeah. um, and uh, you know, and you fall into these traditional sort of paradigms that the husband goes out and hunts and kills the wildebeest while the wife stays home and looks after the kids or the wife goes out and does that and the husband's a loser or, you know, um, or, you know what I'm talking about or, you know, whatever it is. But... Um, uh, the reality is there's just no sense of community. I mean, if, you'd, right. if, if yes. you're in a situation, and I'm a single parent too, right? Yeah. If you're in a situation where you go, well, look, I'm not in a, uh, a romantic relationship with my husband or the father of my children anymore, yeah. but I'm part of this community that all take care. We all share responsibility for the children and responsibility for feeding the tribe and building the wisdom and so mm. it wouldn't even be, a, it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. It, it, you know, this um, modern view of society and what it needs to look like is fundamentally the culprit. Yeah. You know, I was living in an apartment building with 100 apartments. There's not even a single person there that I trust to look after my kids. Mm. I mean, that's not normal. Mm. Mm. It's not normal. So, uh, I, you know, I, I perceive there's going to be a big shift back to community. Mm. Uh, I agree. And to these sort of Just, just quickly... I agree. I'm going to put my Aphrodite hat on. So um, the Western concept of relationship believes that we can have romance, we can have marriage, and we can have sex all in one relationship. Right. And that's rarely working. You know, like... Can, Did you say really working? Rarely. Rarely, rarely working. Like that you can be romantic, you have marriage, which is a almost mm. an economic partnership, and that you have sex. Like So there's three things that other cultures will... And then we also go into business together. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, shush. So anyone that can do that, I'm in awe of. Congratulations! You had to poke. You had to poke the bed. I, just, I put the grenade in there. Is that what you do? Yeah. Okay. And, and well, you know, write a book about that because that's quite remarkable. But and I think, <laughs> and so we kind of. It's a little bit fraught from the start. Um, I think I've been, and I think that's why I reached out to the arts community so much in my work because I mm. needed their support. You know, and I, but I hear what you're saying, and it's mm. lonely, and it feels like you had a lonely experience of that. Well, it's not so much uh, that I think it's lonely. I think it's just, um, I, I think it's a broken paradigm. Mm. Uh, yeah. I, I think that there are much better ways to lead your life. Yeah. Um, uh, the quest for more, 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 bigger, bigger, bigger. You know, I've got a Mazda now. I want a BMW yeah. now. I want a, yeah. you know, Mercedes. I went on holidays to, you know, um, Byron Bay. Now I want to go to Bali. Now I want to go to Sweden. Or whatever it is, you know, there's this constant, you know, we want more and more and more. And we want to, you know, succeed in business. And we want promotion, promotion, promotion. You know, I'll talk to somebody who's a CFO and they're on 300,000. And they'll say, I want a job on 400. I love my job, mm. but I want 400K. Mm. What, for, what, what for, you know? Well, because I feel that I need to have $400,000 to represent, you know, my value in the marketplace. Mm. And people are putting a lot of value on things that are not actually that valuable. Yeah. Um, I think one of the enjoyments of being in the small to medium enterprise entrepreneurial space is there is less of that. You know, I went to a conference for three days and it was largely owners of small to medium enterprise 
and there was a genuine delight and support for each other doing well in business. You don't really see that in a corporate environment. Mm. Um, That's true. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I, I, I think there is a great reckoning that needs to happen. I don't know when it will happen and in what context, but I think the more that we encourage an appreciation of the arts, the more mm. that we, uh, you know, start to, you know, remove these paradigms about, you know, traditional roles and responsibilities and race yeah. and sexual orientation on the better. But in the meantime, right now, it is a very, very difficult landscape to navigate. Yeah. It's probably the, been the most difficult landscape because, yep. you know, 20 years ago, you go, you go, I, I So straightforward. Yeah. yeah. You know, I hate puffs, mm. I hate black people, yeah. you know, women, blah, blah, blah. And now it's like people are going, well, you know, I've got to deal with all this stuff and I don't really know how to and I wasn't brought up to deal with it. But it and it's tough. Well, well, it is. And gender roles changing too is a, um, is a, a, a critically important and necessary thing, mm. but it's also a confusing thing for people who've been brought up in a time where... Yeah, exactly. We, we are who we are of our time and place. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, but look, I, I consider myself to be extraordinarily um, change resilient and extraordinarily open to um, anything that comes along. I'm, yeah. I'm socially very, very progressive. And so um, you know, I've been fortunate in my upbringing and my adult years to be able to experience so many different cultures and different types of people and different sexual preferences and different points of view. You did work and in I really, the cross as a barkeeper. I did work in the cross as a, as a barman. Um, I did, absolutely. And so, you know, I've had, I've had the opportunity <laughs> to see all these things and so I consider myself to be super flexible. Mm. But I look at other people who are my age who are so set in their ways mm. and so intransigent and so intractable mm. around yeah. their viewpoints. And they are seriously stuck and confused. And old. And old. That's yeah, what that's makes right. you old. People, if you people can't ten be flexible and keep moving. Me, people yeah. ten years younger than me could be my parents. Yes. You know, like the way they the way they think and the way yeah. they behave. And they can't get their heads around. I've seen this in in corporate land, you yeah. know, where people just can't get their heads around the way the world is. And you see these prejudices coming through. They're not even unconscious biases. Mm. They are conscious biases where they believe a certain thing and they can't break themselves out of it. They don't want to break themselves yeah. out of that. Mm. And that's that's what's holding a lot of people back. Mm. Yeah. Um, and this this um, reckoning that you talk about, Dicky. I mean, it's is it coming? Sure. Is it going to be evolution or revolution? I don't know. Mm. Yeah. But um, but it's uh, you know there's certainly there's certainly more change to come. And you know the change resilience that a lot of people have is very very low. Mm. And so it's you know there's going to be a lot more turmoil. Yeah. We haven't even got onto some of the bigger issues that we're facing. So. Like no, climate. In, in, well, well, climate. Yeah, climate. Climate is sort of under control because people understand it and steps are being taken. I think the bigger things that we need to think about are aging population. Yeah, definitely. Advances in medical technology that are keeping people alive definitely. for so much longer. Mm. A shrinking tax base. Yeah. And and medical science is wonderful, but it's expensive. Well, I was so I, where are we in fifteen years? Yeah. Where we can pe- keep people alive until the average age is. 95 and not 85, mm. Mm. and we've got a much fewer people contributing to the population. I, I interviewed Jason Cuba, the CEO of Horizon oh. Housing, for oh, the okay. podcast today, yep. and we were talking about the fact that you know people are retiring with less money, they're living much longer post-retirement, and they have much higher needs. Absolutely. How do you deal with that? I Absolutely. mean, it is a massive issue. But I should say, we are literally at two hours, 
And Tim, I know, <laughs> I know it's your wedding anniversary. Too. Oh my god! Yeah. Happy anniversary! Thank so you. I'm very pleased that you prioritised this podcast over your wedding anniversary. Are you going to go to dinner? Thank yeah. you, Jackie, for oh. being so understanding. Oh, what a great so do you need, do you need oh, to no, exit? Totally. I do need to exit. All right. So maybe on that note, we'll wrap it up for today. And just before we finish up, you know, let's go around the table. So, Beck, if people want to engage with you and understand more about what you do, mm. you know, what, how should they do that? Um. So. I just had some cheese. Um, <laughs> so my business is called Pops Art. Yeah. So um, that's probably the online thing. If you Google Pops Art Beck Mac, and I'm developed. So I work primarily in the arts, mm. but working with you, um, mm. working on how I can transit what you were saying about my key assets, which is conversation, mm-hmm. um, bring, drawing the best out of people within their environment mm. and making video content around that so they build a narrative around who they are mm. within the corporate sector is where I'm, I'm headed. So either through you or through PopSart, that's uh, the best way to get in contact with me. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. What about you, Tim? So the best way to get in contact with me is through um, my product called Growth Metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you go to growthmetrics.com.au, you'll, you'll, you'll see and you can um, just put a note in there and say, Tim, I'd like to have a conversation. Um, so I'm open for that because um, I represent a, a couple of different products lines. Mm-hmm. So I've got the Sherlaw's product line that does the infrastructure of business, and then I've got the business of brand that does the uh, the revenue strategy side of things. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. So if you want to get in contact with me, just uh, come through that site. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. What about you, Marty? Um, so probably the website yourceomentor.com, and uh, uh, if you can't remember that, then go to any of your favourite podcast apps. No bullshit leadership is pretty easy to remember. <laughs> so no bullshit leadership on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, any of your podcast apps, you'll find it there. And uh, please enjoy. You know, we're putting a lot of content out there that is just the gold that we hope people can find useful and mm-hmm. really change the way they lead. Our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally, mm. not at all ambitious. Mm. And, and I should say... But very important. Yeah, uh, I should say all three of you, your, your content is excellent and... Uh, I'd highly recommend everybody check it out. And of course, my name is Richard Cheeks, managing partner of Arate Executive, and we're an executive headhunter. So if we can support you in recruiting senior executives or non-executive directors into your business, please let me know. Uh, and last but not least, so Tim, uh, how many years married? 21. Get out! I'm so impressed. I know. Wow. Amazing. Oh, that's awesome. And so, 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 you know, silver, third year is, you know, it's, it's flowers. Don't you bet? It's flowers. Well, apparently, I've, I've just gone through my 10 year wedding anniversary with Kathy. 10 and year wedding or, or? 10 year wedding anniversary. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. We've been married 10 years. Marty and met and his wife on the day my son was born, by the way. I, I did. Wow. And apparently, the gift for 10 years is tin. Tin. But, but what it is for us was a fucking great big diamond ring from New York. <laughs> there you go. Uh huh. God, uh, fantastic. So you know, where, where, are you <laughs> where are you taking a lovely lady to dinner tonight? I don't know yet. You don't know? No. In town? Shit, planning ahead. You better get sorted. And back, Mac, you've got mum at home looking after the kids. Yeah, I do. But all it's right. all good. You get a race. And Marty, what are you doing? I'm good. I'm just home with my beautiful wife. So okay. Yeah. All yeah. right. Very good. I'm having my house renovated at the moment. So I'm uh, 
camping out on somebody's lounge, but uh, so it's it's all good. A beautiful dysfunctional relationship all around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I would have to say, and I'd like to ask you the question. You know, as our first of these type style of podcasts, I thought it was awesome. Mm. Well, we had fun, but then again, we were drinking the awesome reds that you got. So they were awesome. So hopefully the listeners enjoyed it as well. Yeah. yeah. So look, um, uh, I love the please. feedback, actually. So, yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate you experimenting, like we were all saying, yeah. like giving it a go. Yeah. And see, you know, find out what it's it is. Different. It's the only yeah, way to work good. it out. Well, you know, I think that uh, a one-on-one conversation is amazing, but, it, you know, it has a certain uh, dynamic. And yeah. this conversation... We've treaded in unknown waters. Yes. And uh, much like the experience at ABC, it's uh, a little bit more you know, tame and constrained. But uh, this is excellent. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, please like it and share it. Uh, please add some comments. Uh, please visit the relative websites and sign of my wonderful uh, esteemed guests. And uh, have an amazing day. Thanks, mate. Thank Thanks, you. mate. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Arate podcast with Richard Triggs. We frequently feature guests from organisations we are currently recruiting to build the company brand as an attraction strategy for candidates. If you would like to promote your organisation's brand as an employer of choice, please contact Richard directly on 0403 588 517 or via email richardt at arateexecutive.com.au. The Arate Podcast is brought to you by the Experts On Air Podcast Network.